Good evening, good morning, or good afternoon. See, I have to change my That's greeting right. change because we're at a different now. time. Right? Yeah, I've changed the sequence. Wherever you happen to be in the world, this is the Film Film Project. Um, <laughs> gosh, what episode are we on? I don't even know. For it's 18? A, 18, no. yes. 18. Oh my gosh, 18. But that's not what's really important. What's really important is what episode is this really? Mr. Oh, right. The exciting thing is that this is episode 500, the 500th episode ever released on the Tolkien Professor podcast. Uh, wow. So that is pretty exciting. And it happened on cell film. Yay! Yeah, exactly. I didn't wild. even... Um, honestly like remember that like it was i you know there's so many things going on and I, i've got these things and then finally like the folks at signum who helped me uh post the podcast and stuff sent me a message and they're like uh you realize that that one we just posted was 499 right and i'm wow. like no i did not realize that, that awesome. so i just think back in the days when it was just cory walking around a lecture hall right? exactly with students coughing and sniffing and whatever else. Oh my goodness. About the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, there's, been a, there's been a certain amount of evolution uh, going on there here. There has uh, been. There has been. Uh, That's since, awesome. Since we, since we started. But um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's very exciting. So actually to, um, uh, co- to commemorate the day. Oh, <laughs> sorry. So here I'm just noticing that like, of course, like naturally I seem to have messed it up somehow. Um, Anyway, weird. Sorry, I'm just noticing that the Twitch channel titles. Oh no! I fixed it earlier. Again? Does it say Sauron defeated? It does. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, Anyway, so to celebrate our 500th uh, uh, episode here tonight, um, we're gonna we're gonna do a special uh, a special giveaway. Uh, And and, though, as always, you know, we hate to. disenfranchise all the folks who listen to the podcast as you know folks who listen to the podcast asynchronously asynchronously are kind of you know have been the backbone of the whole podcast thing from the beginning so it seemed a shame to exclude them so here's what we're going to do here's what we're going to do we're going to we're going to give away three things tonight um and what what I'm giving away cuz of course uh, as you all probably know, because if you've been listening to announcements and stuff, you know that Mythmoot 6 is coming up. Uh, uh, Mythmoot 6 with our dragon theme. That is next week. So next week, this time, I will already have reenacted the flight to the Ford. So like, it is it is starting next Thursday uh, and is going to be an enormous amount of fun. So we are, um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do that. So, but this year, of course, as you've probably heard, one of the primary things that's different about MythMoot, one of the new things about MythMoot is MootCast. We have, uh, you know, the, the ability for folks to come in and uh, watch and at least to some extent participate in all of the live sessions throughout the weekend. Um, and to get access to a full digital archive of the recordings of all of the things for the whole weekend. So it's really cool. It's a $75 registration for Mootcast for all of the four days. Um, so we're going to give away Mootcast seats to three people. Now, if you win the drawing and you already have registered for Mootcast, don't worry. We'll give you an anytime audit seat instead. So you get access to any course in the Signum University catalog that you would like. So you get that instead, uh, of Mootcast, but Mootcast is our first, um, uh, is, our, is the, is the, the primary thing here that we are, uh, that we're giving away for that. So here's what you do. If you would like to enter in our drawing, send an email to info at signumu.org. 
I-N-F-O at signumu, S-I-G-N-U-M-U dot org. Um, do that between now and uh, next Wednesday, and we will, uh, uh, and then we'll, so we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, uh, awarding the prizes on Wednesday next week. Um, let's see, can you give it to someone else too? Sure, Takako, absolutely you could give it to someone else too. That would be perfectly fine. Uh, we're not going to, not going to uh, thwart generosity. Uh, so, absolutely. Okay. Um, cool. So that's what's going to happen. So I hope that you guys will, will, uh, uh, will enter. Um, if you, uh, so again, just send an email to info at signumu.org and we will enter you in our drawing and we will draw three names and we will give away three mootcast seats or any time audit, uh, 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 you know. <laughs> sessions uh to to everybody so just uh at least all you have to say is just that you're entering the drawing for the 500th the 500th celebration that's it that's all you got to say um okay cool very good anyway so i'm uh, uh i i'm so excited to share this 500th session with you and of course this comes on a momentous night uh, for film film, as well as this is the first night of our new schedule. So, uh, of course, we're you know, in some ways sad to be leaving our old time slot. We've been on Friday mornings at 10 a.m. for, what, four years now, just about. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. Anyway. Um, and yeah, well, I, I think what, what did we do in Rules of the Dark? It was during the, it was in the morning, too. I can't remember. Might have been. Yeah, I think it's been even yeah. longer than that. So it's since been like been longer. Doing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's Absolutely. true. That was that slot, wasn't it? Yeah, we've been doing that time slot for Yeah, ages. it was like seven years seven or Seven years, years or something, something like that. that. But anyhow, yeah. so although we, um, uh, although we are uh, uh, sad to leave our old slot, and I know there are some people, especially folks... Uh, on the Europe side who uh, have a, an understandably challenging time making this particular time slot. Um, but of course I know it also opens up opportunities for some of you guys to come. I see a lot of new faces that I don't usually see here uh, around uh, some film and that's great. Really excited to, uh, uh, to see you guys and glad that you could join us for these conversations, which I have been enjoying more and more all the time. Like I am, I am more and more thankful for, and more and more delighted by film film, the further we get into things. Uh, so, uh, I am uh, glad that you guys could join us for that. All right. Um, exactly. Tony says, no, I don't have to sneak and do this at work. Yeah. I know that there are some of you kind of listening in on the sly. Uh, uh, and I'm also glad to, uh, make honest listeners of you, uh, as we're, as we're moving forward. That's really good. Um, Okay, so I think that's it. Myth Moot coming up, the 500th, right? Uh, yeah, okay. All right, good. I think, uh, I think that's... I think those are all the things, all the announcements that I wanted to talk about. So, great. All right. Uh, then let's, uh, let's get down to business because tonight we are moving on. So, for those of you who are joining us who are new, like if you're just popping in and you've never been with us before, uh, we're in season four of the Silmarillion Film Project, which means we're in the building of everyone's favorite, in the center of everyone's favorite chapters of Balerion and its realms. Uh, so we are, 
Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about episodes seven and eight uh, of season four. And episodes seven and eight to so just to look at the quick overview. And these are this overview and suggestions based on the outlines we made before and suggestions that people have uh, made uh, in our um, uh, on our. Di- discussion forums and in case you don't know where the discussion forums are um uh we can uh uh marie could you actually paste the link uh, a link in for me so that i can copy and paste that to the chat so to make sure everybody knows where to find that uh that would be really great great okay while you're doing that i'm looking at this first slide and it, it dawns on me how brilliant everybody has been because this is kind of like the midway episode in the season mm-hmm. and the topic of the Kinslaying revealed is perfect for like a mid season. Yes. Big dramatic thing. You know, <laughs> I'm sure we did it on purpose. Oh, I know yeah. we planned well, it this way. We right? did. I mean, one of the biggest questions, right. Was whether or not, um, the, uh, whether or not the, um, reveal of the kinslaying or the battle is sort of the real turning point, uh, of the, of the season. Um, and I know you can kind of see it, uh, either way, but this is, um, uh, but yeah, this is, this is definitely clearly. Yeah. Tony says the whole season pretty much pivots on this. Yeah, it does. It really does. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then really sort of the question of, of what are, where are we going to be? I mean, really the, some of the biggest questions of the entire season is basically like, okay, so here we all are in Beleriand. Like, what are we going to do? And how are we going to get along? You know, we've got, we left the Noldor almost at war with each other, of course, right? At the end of the last season with Feanor dead and uh, Fingolfin arriving, we, uh, of course, then, you know, how, how are they going to get along with the, with the Sindar? What are any of them going to do about Morgoth? You know, so establishing what is life in Beleriand and how is it going to work and is everybody who needs to work together going to be able to work together in order enable to, to to sort of make this all happen that's really sort of the biggest issue so the kinslaying uh by far the most dramatic element right in this whole thing and this this reveal of course being a major uh turning point um yeah yeah good um so let's see uh Hmm. Let's see. I'm I, getting I, it. I, I just want to check. I'm getting are, it actually. Our Twitch is running okay, right? We got Twitch running. I think we do. Oh, somebody. Yeah, somebody. I don't know. Okay. Somebody yeah. asked. I think we do. Somebody else. Uh... Um. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure we do. I can tell from the comments that people are hearing oh, okay. what we're saying, so that's good. Yep. Yeah, it's up and running. Okay. Cool. And, so, uh... I have a, I have a couple big picture questions though. Um. Before we get into the nitty gritty of episodes seven and eight. Uh, I want to, I'm kind of thinking about the big picture here. So just again, quick review here. So seven is, this is when Thingol is going to discover the truth, right? Kyrdin is going to come and tell him what he's worked out and what he's learned and what he's worked out, uh, about the kinslaying. And, uh, and, and of course, uh, Angrod and Finrod, though, sort of in different spirits are going to come clean about that. Uh, and, uh, and then we get the ban. Okay. And then in episode eight, we're looking at being a, a largely Angban focused, um, episode. And, uh, 
uh, and, and the, having the, the, the real beginnings of the catch and release program and Morgoth returning uh, uh, for a little hiatus from his vacation out in Hildorian uh, in order to uh, lay the spell of bottomless dread whammy on folks uh, uh, here uh, in Angband. Um, uh, and anyway, then we're going to get some other stuff that we can we can talk about there too. Again, as we're thinking about the the kind of fallout, um, and uh, oh wait, and hang on. So remind me. So uh, Murray, the ban itself won't get issued until episode eight. Is that right? So so he's he's reacting right in episode seven, and then he actually issues the ban. So we we get a certain amount of delay. Hey, look, she's there. so good. Look at. That. Okay. It's up to us. It's up to it's us. Up there to we us. go. Okay, we'll have to see about. It. Okay, so, so, so we need to think about that. All right. So let me, let me. Okay. So as I say, big picture. One thing. I'm a little bit uncertain about the kind of gap here. So one thing that strikes me about these two episodes, as we currently have them laid out, is that they're very. Um, well, monochrome? That is, this episode, like, is there even a B-plot? I don't think we have a B-plot at all for episode seven. I'm not saying we have to have a B-plot, but it's like just in Doriath, right? And we don't come into contact with anything else. And then episode eight is going to be a lot of Angband. And that's a little bit odd in one sense, um, in that we don't, we've never spent that much time in Ang- I mean like on end like we visit it occasionally um you know we'd like to I, I mean as 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 we've talked about a lot I like to think about how we're developing the characters of the bad guys uh and especially we have to stay in touch with our you know our our clandestine uh central character of the entire series Sauron um but to have a whole episode which is primarily an Angband is going to be hard. Um, and I don't think... I'm not sure that we really want to do that. Um, so... Well, I don't see a problem with kind of shaking it up a little bit. You know, I mean, in the sense of... Uh, in the sense of... It would be something different, yeah. you know, than we've done. And have it be Angband-centric or at least Morgoth-verse-centric. Right. I mean, it may take place other places right. as well. Um you know, I was just sitting here thinking we could even push the decision about the ban to the next episode after or mm-hmm. have it happen right at the end of this episode. And then basically we got a kind of a, almost like a cliffhanger, go to Ang Ban, do the next episode. I mean, I, I think it could work mm-hmm. and it would be something that would be a little bit of a different, you know, it's, what are we in season four? We got to, you know, we got to spice it up a little bit, do a little right. differently. Well, keep the, the audience yeah. interested. I hear that, and I think that it could conceivably work. But here's, okay, here's my other concern. Episode nine, if and if I'm remember, if I'm not remembering this correctly, of course people will remind me. But I'm pretty sure that episode nine is when the battle is going to happen, right? We're going to have oh, the battle breaking yeah. out in episode nine, and yeah. so I, f- the primary brunt of the battle is going to be on the folks in the north, right? Fingon and Fingolfin right. and Mithras. Um, 
Uh, yeah. Well, not not Mytheros. It's not going to be over on Mytheros' side. It's going to be over with Fingen and Fingolfin, and we won't even have checked in with them. I mean, maybe we show reaction shots in episode eight mm-hmm. to re- reactions to the ban. I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can kind of bring it in there. Um, but it, well, the ban could be the B story in the Ang Ban series. In fact, I was wondering if do we have actually Morgoth opining about the ban? Is that is that one way we could actually the audience could actually find out more about the band is hearing it from the bad guys, not hearing about it for the first time. I don't mean, I don't mean that's where we hear about it for the first time, but I mean, I kind of like that. Actually, what if we did you know hear I mean? about it for the first I, time? Well, it could be. I mean, I don't know. What does everybody think? I mean, that could be. I was thinking this this series episode seven at the very end, the band, you know, Thingol's declaration could happen. Right. And then. You know, season eight actually could even start with Morgoth spies coming and telling him about the band. And he's like, rubs his hands and says, ooh. Right, yeah, exactly. Sauron would clearly be the first one to know about it. Yep, yep, um, yep. And he would love it and feel, with some justification, that he, like, this is like the fruit of his work, right? Right, um, right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, Theron Gwethel will be like, thrilled well she won't she'll want a bonus well exactly right yeah she, she, she gets a promotion <laughs> definitely a rise in pay for for Thuringuethel after this right um let's think for a second where is sauron right now psychologically speaking he's not we've shown him in rivalry with gothmog right but I don't think he's merely in like um, toadying competition. Yeah, right? like he's not toadying to Morgoth. Um, has he reached the point? The point will come, right, when he begins to think about setting up on his own, or at least like he came to Morgoth in the beginning, in season one, and then into season two when Morgoth was gone. Because he was a believer, right? He was a believer in Morgoth, in Melkor's way of mm-hmm. doing things, right? Uh, and he, he he preferred Melkor's methods to Manway's methods. Um, but of course, he's never really been devoted. Like, he doesn't have personal devotion. Um, I mean, like that that line which people sometimes like to quote from the Valaquenta about him being less evil than his master, only in that for long he served another just means he was doing he he was working for someone else it means he wasn't 100% selfish the whole time it doesn't mean that he loved him or was devoted to him well it also doesn't necessarily exactly. mean to me that he wasn't still doing it for his own ends you know what i mean it's like it yeah. served his own interest to serve melkor kind of thing you know what i mean i always kind of thought of it that way or morgoth yeah. I, I would think well so the other thing is is by the time luthien gets to him right he's pretty established by that time right so we're kind of on that continuum right that's kind of where we're heading to with him with his development yeah well i mean and obviously we need to make sure that we're playing the long game um you know maria's thinking we're 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 not yet um we're not yet at the point where because exactly maria i mean if if thinking big picture here for a second and by big picture i mean from where he is in season one when he first kind of goes over to the dark side right uh, uh, but of course still thinks that he's doing not exactly what's right, but what is best 
right? Um, right. Like this right. is the this is the most this is the way that 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 rule should happen. This is this is the best vision for Arda, and certainly mm-hmm. the most effective way to achieve the the you know his vision for Arda, Melkor's vision for Arda. Like this is you know it was way better than Manway's method, right? Um, he's still certainly very you know, and and the the thing we've been wanting to resist from the very beginning is simply making the bad guys look like, you know, I, you know, just go to the beach and kick people's sandcastles over for fun on my free time. You know, like I just enjoy destroying things because I like destruction and I like evil because evil is fun. Like that's, they're not like that. Um, and we, we don't want to make them cartoonish, and we certainly don't want to make their falls too precipitous. The parallel I've often made, uh, because it, it was to me the most comically unsatisfying depiction of the fall into evil that I've ever seen uh, in the modern world, uh, is, of course, Anakin Skywalker in The Revenge of the Sith. Oh, yeah. um, you know, when yeah. he goes from, like, I'm just worried about my wife to I'm ignoring my wife for this and going off to murder right. a bunch of children just, like, because I... I should. I mean, like, yeah. Psychologically, it didn't have any. It didn't, yeah, it didn't it have any sense. any any yeah. real oomph. It didn't. It, it was uh, uh, very. Um, um, Did we not? Yeah. I remember a conversation, but I can't remember if it was a conversation. You know how sometimes we'll like go, oh, well, it's sixteen episodes from now. We need to do bloody bloody. Right. But I do remember us talking about Sauron at some point. It might have been around now, where he's kind of like, or was it when Melkor's gone or Morgoth's gone? You know, where he's like wait a second, I actually know how to do this better. You know, I got a better way. Are we at that point now, or is that, did we talk about doing that like later? Well, see, that's what I'm thinking. Okay, so if we we kind of think for a second about the big picture arc of Sauron, right? He starts with, like, he is, of course, he's one of, uh, one of the, one of the Meyer of Aule, right? He likes make you know he he appreciates cleverness and making and like the free scope to 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 uh to to make things and to shape things um and he follows melkor because he believes in strength rather than like manway looks weak and uh, uh mm-hmm. and restrictive mm-hmm. and so he goes with um uh and yes uh, marie exactly he's impressed with morgoth's power morgoth's right? power right? morgoth is the one who's getting things done, right? This is the way that Arda should be ruled, um, not with these and kinds of bizarre halfway measures. I remember he went to measures. visit Melkor. Remember, I think we did that, and he's like, he's really kind of won over when he goes to Melkor's... Yes, yes. when he sees a tumble, right? Exactly. Yeah, he sees like, a tumble, That right. is beauty, exactly. that is grandeur, yeah. that is the... And, yeah, and it's like, more, yeah, this guy's got the right idea kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. and if you remember, in season one, the, the way that we did that, which I still love that in retrospect, um, the way that we had Melkor setting up his seat of power in Middle-earth, and the Valar retreating to Valinor, and, you know, widening the sea, right, and building up the 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 pylori. Um, so basically, it looks like they're just like being isolationist, right? So mm-hmm. the whole um, um, the whole initiative of like, no, you know, Melkor says no, we should be here, you know, in Middle Earth, we should be ruling the great lands, we should be ordering them ourselves, not retreating, right, not running away from them, not turning our backs on them, right? So, Melkor is the proactive one, right? Melkor is the, um, um, uh, is the, the again, it's strength and power and directness and and straightforwardness, right? Not, not, well, you know, you know not, I gotta say, if I was around at that part in time, I'd probably be a total sucker for Melkor, because I mean, it is true. He's got a good, you know, 
he's got really good points. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, very, it's, it's, it's very attractive. Um, So he is, uh, it's interesting actually thinking about this now, I'm kind of feeling like it's also, of course, it's always possible that we thought this through very carefully before and I've totally forgotten it. Um, (laughs) But I feel like I haven't thought this through in some ways. We know that he is, he admires Melkor and supports him. We also were showing in season two. Um, so at the end of season two, Morgoth returns. Um, and he's been burned by the Silmarils. And he is, uh, barely escapes from Ungoliant, right? Um, he's in a bad place, right? Morgoth not in the best headspace at that particular time when he returns. Did we decide, and you know, and obviously Nick and Marie and, and y'all who have been talking about this on the discussion boards can help me uh, remember what was Sauron's reaction? I rem- The thing I remember most clearly is that Sauron had begun the whole uh, orc project, right? But he wasn't just making wicked, evil, twisted, horrible creatures filled with hate and rage uh, in order to be instruments of cruelty and destruction to others. That wasn't the plan for the orcs. Um, he wanted to create disciples, right? He wanted to, in fact, we have, I don't think we didn't draw this parallel explicitly, but I think it would be interesting to draw the parallel, uh, between what Sauron was trying to do with the elves that he captured and what, uh, Aule was doing when he made the dwarves, right? He wanted learners to whom he could could teach. That would have been in Sauron's mind, probably, you know, uh, you know, like that would be, um, I seem to remember, and again, script team will know, but it seemed to me like when Melkor, when Melkor comes back, burned by the Silmarils and whatnot, and sets up shop, at that point in time, uh, Sauron and Gothmog had kind of been like co-leading, but there wasn't like a lot of stuff. It's, what sticks in my mind is when Mel, Melkor goes to find the humans, Morgoth, goes to find yeah. the humans was the time that Sauron really got a taste of, of of running things. Yes. I mean, I think that he's, uh, yeah. I mean, this, this, this point right now is when he is most in charge. He was always right. like, right. During season two, while Morgoth is, is, you know, while Melkor is in prison and, uh, and then living in Valinor thereafter, uh, Sauron is kind of running his own show, but it's a sideshow. Right. Gothmog is the one who's sort of in charge of things. Um, and uh, as Marie says, when Morgoth comes back, Morgoth is saved by the Balrogs, right? Gothmog and his f- yeah, that's folks right. rescue him from Ungoliant. Uh, so, as uh, Marie says, Gothmog is on the ascendant. Uh, Sauron made the fallen elves to worship Morgoth, but Morgoth comes back and in the place where Morgoth was, right, full of pain and rage and hatred, um, he vetoes, he takes Sauron's work mm-hmm. and twists it. Right, and he makes Bulldog uh, the sort of prototype orc, um, and then fills the orcs with his rage and his hatred, uh, and twists them into what they are. So the actual, the full corruption of the elves into orcs happens from Morgoth uh, in Morgoth's anger. Did we talk about? Um, 
Did we talk about Sauron's reaction to that? Um, I was just going to ask you that because that had to have been. I was going to think. I was saying maybe you guys did because it might have been a time when I couldn't be. You know, I had to leave or whatever. But yeah, I was just thinking about that. I mean, Sauron would have been pissed. Yeah, I, would think. I mean, at least, or at least like seriously disappointed in the sense of you know you you're giving your boss a present and then he just basically yeah. like rips it apart and turns it into something else. Yeah, Tony says that he wants to see Sauron's descent and rationalizations kind of mirror uh, those of Saruman later on. It's not, they're not exactly the same, I think, um, but they're, but similar. I mean, Tony, if there's the, 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 certainly the core knowledge, rule, order. Yeah. That's like Morgoth's recruiting flyers, like have that on the title page. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, that's very much like knowledge, rule, and order are the things that I think attract, uh, uh, Myron, right. To Melkor in the first place. Um, he does all three of those things really well and yeah. and f- like freely right freely right. and openly dispenses uh knowledge uh and establishes order uh and rule strong rule all three of those things very attractive to myron very much like the way that he feels like things should be right um but um is, yeah that is yeah. true it's a real parallel elise also made the point earlier and i didn't want to lose this oh yeah um, good i wanted to come back to that too the Go parallel ahead. with galadriel you know yes. there's kind of a, there is kind of a parallel here i mean it's it's kind of light and dark you know but right. many of their motivations at this point i would think you know we could actually be showing that kind of contrast yeah um but here's what i really want to know before we treat that I want to know, is Sauron still a ginger at this point? <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. Totally? Okay. Totally. Um, or maybe and, even more ginger, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's something, I, I'm sure we, we talked about this. We must have talked about this during the course of season three. Um, but what does Sauron's look these days? I mean, your reference to his hair, uh, uh Oh God! Now I got good omens on my mind. Brings it up, but David um, Tennant's right, yeah. right. Um, I wonder what his look is like. I think we have to resist him being, you know, like just wearing, like dressing like Dracula, and you know, and, and looking all, you know evil <laughs> right i don't think he he looks really evil um uh yeah murray exactly he's not really dark lord material yet no i don't think no, he should be not. dark lord yeah. material yet um he's not through yet right he hasn't even gotten no he's not gotten to the thu stage yet he will soon get to the thu stage right but that's one of the things that I'm kind of leading up to, because the Thu stage is, is sort of what's next or what's close anyway. He's right. like a season and he's like a season away from from being Thu the necromancer. Uh, and, you know, so we need to we need to kind of, I, this is why I want I want to kind of touch base with his trajectory. So wait, let me let me kind of go. I never finished. I was saying I want to look at the overall oh, right, arc right, and then I'm right. getting I keep getting down into details. So the overall arc. He starts off as a believer in what Melkor is selling, right? Tony, knowledge, rule, order, right? That's his, that's his deal. And then he is trying to achieve that. What we show is a, like the, the moral slide is one of like, I'm willing to 
defy and oppose those whom I know to be good and well-intentioned, right? It's one thing to disagree with Manway and the other Valar. It's it's another thing to 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 fight against them, right? And to to resist the works that they're doing and, and to undermine their work and everything. Um, uh, there's... Uh, but more, we we see him, and in the Elf Project, in the in the corruption of in the in the super secret uh, uh, necromantic orc project, uh, the f- uh, the famous S N O P uh, of season two, um, we um, uh, yeah. So uh, he, he, there, that, that's the first time that we show him basically putting the ends before the means. Right. Thinking like he 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 has this vision for what the elves should be like, because he's a believer in Melkor. So he is, as as you guys were saying in the in in, in the in the comments there, um, he's like trying to c- make them worshippers of Melkor as well. Right. To make to make to br- make bring them to be true believers and to enhance them. Right. To give them power, to give them knowledge, to uh, uh, to make them more effective servants of Melkor's vision. Right. Um but he's doing stuff. In order to do this, he has to do stuff to them, which, like, he can't pretend is good, but what he can pretend, or what he can tell himself, is that it's necessary, right? Um, the ends justify the means, and that's and so his slide begins, uh, or it's already begun, but anyway, so his slide continues. Um, eventually, he's going to come to the place where, he, so, where he's going to start questioning Morgoth. Right. Is Morgoth past it? Morgoth is, in fact, in decline, not only moral decline, but overall decline. Right. Um, His uh, we see the restrictions on his power as he puts forth. Morgoth puts forth more and more of his power uh, in order to bring Middle Earth under his dominion. Uh, He is going to be weakened and weakened and lessened and and made into, uh, you know, a narrower, shallower um, less admirable person, right? And I, I, I've got to think there's going to come a time when Sauron, when, when he, he's going to come to a point where he says, okay, um, I think I need to set up on my own. Not because I want to rival Morgoth, but because like the boss, he's not, he, he's not all there anymore. Right. Of course, in Morgoth's case, quite literally true. He's not all there anymore. He's distributed a bunch of himself. Right. So he's like, the boss isn't all there anymore. Uh, I'm going to not get off the boat, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to at least make a, you know, a a little, um, you know, lifeboat for myself here. Um, And uh, and increasingly, I don't know, like, right. I mean, he's going to begin to think. Uh, for himself. Tony says, is there any point at which Sauron becomes greater than Morgoth? No. Uh, no. 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 I mean, they're just too... Um, no. I don't think he can be greater than Morgoth. One of the things to keep in mind, of course, is what we see... Uh, is what we see when we get to... Um, uh, Numenor, Right? Um, when he create, you know, when he brings about the worship of Mel- of of Melkor by the Numenorians. But I'm thinking, when we get there, Sauron doesn't do that like a fanatic. He does that as a it's a. He is at that point using Morgoth as a means to his ends. Right. Then. Right. 
Um, he's trying to corrupt the men. Yes, and he's using Morgoth as an instrument. He probably knows that Morgoth is um, uh, Morgoth is is locked out, right? At least for now. Uh, and but he still has some access. Like there is still power from Morgoth in Middle Earth. So. I can imagine Sauron coming to a point where he believes that he can kind of harvest that, not harvest, harness that. Leverage. Right. Yes, leverage, leverage yeah. that. Um, and that's one of the things that he's trying to do with the Numenorians, right? Um, besides which, even the Kingsmen, right, would presumably balk if he led with, so, okay, everybody, I have a plan. Why don't you worship me? Right, like if he leads with that, then you know it. Like I, again, even the even uh, even our Farazon is likely to see through that, right? Um, right. So he doesn't lead with that. So again, he's but 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 I don't think I don't believe that when Sauron is corrupting the Numenorians, again, he's doing it like a fanatic. Like he's still no. really truly trying to bring worshippers around yeah. to Morgoth. Actually, you know, I, I think to, yes, Tony. I think he could be delusional enough to think he's greater than Morgoth. I think that is it. Not that he is, that he could think he is, and for the same reason that he turned in the first place, the greater quote unquote greater good. And Sauron could get to a point, especially watching Morgoth deteriorate or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's now, oh, it's up to me. I have to do this. I have to be greater. And I, the thing I was thinking about is Morgoth going to have to slap him down. Is there going to come a point where Morgoth's going to have to slap him down? See, I don't know that they'll ever come to conflict. And this is tricky because um, on the one hand, uh, Oji Bray and Twitch was saying, it would Sauron's kind of semi-betrayal of Morgoth be at the same time that he gets his butt kicked by Luthien? Um, <laughs> uh, well, see, exactly, Oji Bray. This is one of the issues, right? So in the Silmarillion, here's the reality of the matter. Sauron goes away. Right. Sauron is defeated by Huon and Luthien and goes away and is never heard from again. We we hear literally not the first peep That's right. about or out of Sauron until uh, we find out what his reaction was to the War of Wrath. Right. We don't even know. I mean, we can speculate, but we don't even know that he participated in the War of Wrath. I mean, I, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I'm not. I think. I think probably he did. I think that we want to keep him involved in some way. Um, but I'm um, thinking spy. He could be like the intelligence arm or something. Yeah. The, you know, anyway. But it's a huge gap, right? It's a yeah. huge gap of time and of action. Certainly in the Silmarillion, especially as the it, you know the events kind of accelerate, right? As we move towards the War of Wrath. Um, but anyway, it, it's it's. We don't know, right? So we, we, we do have to kind of deal with that. It does seem to me we have two choices with Sauron's story, right? We either um, we either take Sauron's story and add to it, right? So he doesn't vanish after that. Maybe, we, you know, he flees, and then maybe we find ways to, like, keep him involved in a clandestine way so he doesn't make the headlines, right? He gets left out of the published Silmarillion, not because he's not doing anything, <laughs> but just because he's, like, being super covert or doing things elsewhere or something like that, right? He, he's, not invo- so, like, he's not involved in the fall of Gondolin. He's not in the vo- involved in the fall of Doriath. Uh, you know, well, you know I was going to say, at some point, he does have to, you know, like Marie says, he could be involved, you know, with the Easterlings. And, sure. Because he has to consolidate. I mean, at some point, he had to have consolidated those relationships that we see coming to fruition, you know, in the third age. Yes. At least, if not before then. 
Yes. So yeah, so he could be doing that kind of thing. But yeah, find the it, blue wizards, corrupt the blue wizards. You know. Yeah, there's lots of stuff he can be doing outside of the narrative focus of the published Silmarillion, right? That's not hard. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. Or we no. could make him still involved in in some ways, indirectly yeah. or behind the scenes. Like, we, we mm. can still keep him a part of the story um, throughout that section. Um, but unless we're going to just totally change things and fabricate stuff, I mean, like, we could do that if we wanted to. Like, we could have him involved in the sack of Gondolin. We could have him involved in the Turin story if we chose to. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, I think it's it's more fun rather than just being like, let's completely scrap it and do a completely different. It's kind of more fun to work within the parameters, but say, okay, we need to, we need to think about how we can kind of make it work within that overall framework. Um, And Tony says he could be involved in the flying dragon project. Right. Exactly. He's (laughs) off there in the laboratory, right. Stitching wings onto dragons, trying to figure out how to make this work. So yeah, absolutely. He could be Um, like Hagrid, you know, with his little dragons and Caligon (laughs) and Caligon is a baby dragon. Right. Right. Yeah. Brings it up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm imagining now a pic, uh, you know, the scene with uh, Sauron and little and Caligon, the black, you know, and, and him being like, Oh, he knows his mummy. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that's, that would totally work. Um, anyway, but, 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 uh, um, the, uh, so I think that he, so there, there are two questions, right? And, and, and I think that we have to be careful to keep these two questions straight. One question is, what does he do? And the second question is, what is he thinking? Where is his, where is his mind then, right? And by that, and that in turn has two different elements, right? One, in one sense, it means, where is he on his trajectory, right? On his path down into the void, right? As we, we, we want to be able to map that. I mean, if we do this right... We should be able to show the continuous arc, right? Like the one huge overarching tragedy of Myron the Maya, right? From season one, right? From the Ainulindale all the way through the destruction of the Ring of Power, right? Right. One continuous uh, fall uh, story, which, which, which makes sense. But at the same time... We also need to think about, so we need to think about, like, where is he really in his, like, moral and spiritual fall, right? But also, what does he think of himself? How does he understand what he's doing? Which is obviously quite different, right, uh, uh, than where he really is uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, so, gosh, yeah. you know, I had, we may have said this before, but it just hit me either the first time or anew. He is the one character that goes from the very beginning to the very exactly. end. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's never a very really, striking it thing. Hit yeah. Me. Wow. Yeah. So Brave Melvin says he was working in the lab late one night. So that means Phil Menzies needs to include Monster Mash in the Sauron theme. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced of that. But, uh, yeah. I'm yeah. sure Phil will be happy to Oh, do that. I'm sure. <laughs> Sure, he'll take that request right up. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so, I think the question is good. Although we're probably this is probably for next episode. You know, we're doing the episode eight before we're doing episode seven. But I think it's a really good question because, like you say, he's like you know one season away from Foo. I, I do think, at least, like in facial expression, in in 
body posture and walking, I mean, we definitely see a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do we see? A more hardened person? Do we see well, a more prideful person? I don't know. What has he experienced? He has so. We, we've talked about the rivalry with Gothmog, right? Right. Mm. Um, and he has disdain for Gothmog because Gothmog is a thug, right? Um, you know, Gothmog is just about oh, yeah. pounding things and violence. Um, right. And he is like, so Gothmog is like the distillation of the whole rule by force thing, which remember Myron admired in Melkor, right? But he doesn't admire it when it is separate from you know, all like beauty and artistry and cunning, and, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like right. it is good to have no nuance. Yes. You know? Like the rule of the wise and the proper ordering of the world should be enforced by, by rule, right? Should be enforced by force. Um, that is, that is how it should be. You know, those who are best suited to plan and shape the world should run it. Right. And they should run it in an unquestionable way that I, I think he's he's down with that. That was like, again, that mm -hmm. was the mm -hmm. that was the speech uh, in season one. Um, Gothmog is just the force. Right. And he doesn't care. He doesn't he doesn't build. He just destroys Gothmog. Right. He's not even really interested in building things. He's just interested in sort of hitting things. Right. Um and Marie, yes, Gothmog is completely devoted yeah. to Morgoth. And yes. I could totally see Sauron even having an, a reaction to that. You know, like, yes. I, I'm not that. I'm not yes, that. Yes, exactly. And Tony makes the good point, and we kind of have talked around this, but, you know, this guy is going to be the Lord, and Marie said too, he is going to be the Lord of the Rings. He is going to have the technology to make these rings, you know, in the millennia going forward. But he's a tech guy, right? Yeah. He's a, yeah. He was Alley's person, guy. and he He's the tech guy. Yes. So that's maybe that maybe is kind of the planet around which we orbit him. You know, yes. at the point yes. where he's lose well, we we lose him in the in the canon of the Silmarillion. Right, right. Um yeah, now uh Rhiannon asks a great question. When is Sauron gonna start wanting to completely dominate right. the wills of others, ring question. ring of ring of power style? Um so my thought about it, I've been, I've been thinking, and by the way, Rhiannon, thank you so much for your contributions. Great to see you. I, I know you just recently got all caught up with the podcast and stuff, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for all of your your uh, suggestions. I was thinking about several of the things that you suggested that's here. That's quite a job. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Um, anyway, so thank you. Um, uh, but, but, but to your question there as well. So here, here's my thought. Like how the ring of, how do we get to the rings of power, right? How we get to the rings of power is now Sauron. Remember that again, that line that I already semi quoted from the end of the Valaquenta about how Sauron follows the same path down into the void, right? That, that Melkor did, but see Sauron a is following behind a, that, that is to say he's seen Morgoth walk that path, right? And he's seen where it ended up. He's gener he's genuinely shaken after the war of wrath, right? Um, uh, and part, I think, a big part of what what shakes him is that he sees what led Morgoth down that road, right? He sees what Morgoth did wrong. So the question is, so he's going to do the same thing, right? Um, uh, he's going to end up doing the same thing. So how does he do it? He's smart, right? How does he do this? Now, 
again, like this happens all the time, right? You know, smart people end up making the same decisions or the made the same bad decisions that lead them to the same bad cases as people that they right. know about full well before. This happens, right? It's this is not a strange phenomenon. Um, uh, this is a process I believe in, and uh, and I think that we. Can, but so so Rihanna, the rings of power are my. Uh, kind of my answer to that question really like how does that happen basically he's not just going to go the same way he's not going to do this he's not going to try to do the same thing um and there's I some he's got a good point he sees morgoth dissipating his power so his idea is to concentrate his power. exactly his power. the ring his right. the rings are his clever plan Right. He's going to do it differently. Like on the one hand, Morgoth is clearly right. Like his his desire to assert control. Right. To 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 achieve dominion only through dominion can anything get done. Right. That's obvious. And Sauron has been a convert to that idea from the very beginning. Right. Um, But he's not going to make Morgoth's mistake. Yeah. He's not going to disperse himself in all of these things. Right. So instead he, he uses, he, 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 there's a technology, right? The rings of power is the technology that he has developed, which is going to be his instrument to accomplish that end without doing to him what doing to himself, what Morgoth did to himself. So yeah, it's, it's to him, it's going to look very different. Right. It's going to look very different uh, than it did when Morgoth did it. And so he's going to be able to convince himself. But again, this is the real. The fact is he's fooling himself. Right. Um, Right. He's not actually really doing it differently. And in fact, in how he invests so much of himself into the ring is, of course, exactly like the way that Morgoth weakened himself. Right. In effect, it's exactly. In fact, it's worse because all that has to happen is he has to have the ring taken away from him. And now he's weakened even before he's dead. Right. He's weakened. He brings himself to a place uh, because of the way he ties himself to his little piece of technology. But that had to be a V8 moment for him. Exactly. That now he he has lost his (laughs) dominion without right. even losing it right i mean he's still there but now he's got he's now he's some dumb hobbit has the ring so anyway <laughs> like this is this is by which i mean Gollum, right but anyway um <laughs> it, it's uh it's 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 really got to fry his bacon it, it does it does right so the the thing is totally going to backfire on him marie as marie says mistakes were made exactly um, <laughs> mistakes were made Exactly. Now, and I he, have a question. And, and, oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, so just one last thing, just following up. As Tony is suggesting here, um, we have an even more profound fooling of himself that is only going to happen after a great deal oh, yeah. of time, right? Definitely. And that is, no, he's never going to challenge Morgoth when Morgoth is there because he knows, like, firsthand. He has met Morgoth, right? He and Morgoth have worked together. He He knows. He is nothing like as powerful as Morgoth, right? But... After Morgoth is gone and he's right. been ruling for a really long time. And there's been no sign of the valor. And he has been anything. in his own kind of moral. He is right. going to bring himself to a point where he does believe that he can, um, that he is, can basically succeed where Morgoth failed. Like Morgoth right. couldn't pull it off, but I'm going to pull it off. Right. Um, he, he he needs to get to the place where he really believes that. Um, and it needs and to be... And he'll keep seeing no signs of the Valar doing anything. I mean, he'll miss right. all of the... He'll miss all this because we see that they yes. are still involved. Yes. But he doesn't see any of that at all. Yeah, exactly. Well, I have a question for you. So Morgoth gets to a point, and I think we're around there now, where he violently hates 
like irrationally hates elves. I mean, just everything he can think of to do, yes. Yes. he wants to do. Oh yeah, Sauron yeah. I think he's gets there, to yeah. that point. Yeah. Sauron gets to that point at some point. Now he doesn't just get it to it with elves. He pretty much gets to it with like pretty much everybody. But he's yeah. not there yet, right? No. At this point I don't in think time, so. Sauron is not there. Okay. Yeah. That's what I I was. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Yeah. I think Sauron. Right. Marie. Yeah. Exactly. Melkor's there. So, so what is Sauron's at? So, so of course I'm, I'm eventually coming back not only to season four, but even indeed to episode seven and eight. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still not quite there yet though. Okay. So hang on. So having thought a little bit about Sauron's trajectory, and there's a lot more that we could work out obviously, but having thought a bit about his trajectory here, big picture where he's going to end up thinking back to just the first stage, right? Pre war of wrath. What is the end point for pre-War of Wrath, right? Or like at the time of the War of Wrath, like the day before, you know, the armies of the West show up uh, on the beaches, right? Um, Where is Sauron at that point? And I got to think he's watching Morgoth and thinking. So it seems to me that the thinking about trying to think about Sauron's psychology thinking first about his relationship with Morgoth, right? It first will come to doubt, right? Doubt whether Morgoth is able to pull it off. And then down towards belief that fear, there's got to be some fear involved, right? Fear that Morgoth is losing it and is just going to wreck everything and wreck him, right? Maybe down to, is he going to get to the point in the first age before the end when he feels like, okay, I need to do what I can to kind of weather this. And Morgoth is increasingly off the, you know, the, the, the you know, like it just like off the, the wall here. Right. Um, can I like maneuver this, right? Can I become the one kind of pulling the strings, right? I know he's more powerful than me, but he's, you know, uh, a little Might out of control. Might Sauron have a hand in having Morgoth fall? Tony, yeah, Tony is just asking that too. Oh, uh, there we go. See, yeah. Tony, you and I are thinking the same thing. Exactly. It's like, might he be the, like, you know, Iago springs to mind up, but I'm, I suppose, like Iago, you know, I mean, that type of person. Yeah, I mean, I could see us, not, like, having him just starting to get there, like, having him for him to be in the place where he has like essentially the kind of proto Numenorean concept, which then never comes to fulfillment. Right. And then he, he, we see him kind of coming back to it in a more mature place. Right. You know, mature as far as his own plans are concerned. I mean, um, later on, uh, in, in the second age, but, but yeah, would he get to the point? And I'm thinking, no, I, we gotta be careful because for all I want, Sauron to be really important. We can't lose Melkor, right? We can't, um, we can't, Melkor shouldn't merely become a sort of maniacally insane monster, even by the end, right? He still has to be cunning. He still has to be in control. I wonder if, I mean, it doesn't have to be something major, if, if, for example, we have Sauron being sort of the intelligence person, you know, he's kind of in charge of, of intelligence, 
maybe there's like one piece of information he just doesn't pass on to Mel. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's a small thing. It could be a small thing. It doesn't right. have to be a huge like overthrow kind of thing. Right. But it could kind of be like I don't know. I the other thing I'm I'm a little nervous about is that's way off canon. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like to even involve Sarah in this. Yeah. I, I'm not sure where my comfort level is with that. So we don't really have that. I mean, the way it's written, Melkor is the big cheese, and that's just all there is to it, kind of thing. Exactly. No, and he is the, and his his he is such a very large quantity of cheese yes. that there's yes. no real competition. <laughs> you know, I mean, no. like there's just you can't like you can't fight with the mountain, right? And yeah. and even to Sauron, that's what it would look like. I mean, it would look like arm wrestling right. the mountain uh, to take on Morgoth, even in his sort of deteriorated form. Uh, but, no, th- you know, my thought is, do we see, you know, one option would be that we see Sauron sort of doing very small undermines, you know, especially if what we've done is cast him. In. And I could see also why he would, if, if Morgoth keeps messing with his tech projects and keeps just, you know, corrupting his tech. And yeah, I don't know. I yeah. mean, I, I could see a whole lot of reasons why Sauron would like kind of undermine him, but I'm not even sure really Sauron would have that motivation at this point because his fortunes are pretty much linked with Morgoth. I mean, he would want the war of wrath to be won. By he Morgoth, certainly would. He certainly yeah. would. Yeah. So, because he, he, he would have that. to know no matter how uncertain he gets yeah, in his relationship true. with Morgoth, he's got to know that he's better off with Morgoth in power than, you know, yeah. with the Valar yeah. in power. So I've right. talked myself out of that whole idea because he can't, you know, even if he's disagreeing or worried, he's still going to be yeah. with Morgoth. Yeah. And OG Bray and Twitch, um, that's exactly what I was just going to say. I think that the most likely scenario for Sauron, I certainly don't see him colluding with the enemy, though it's a really interesting no. idea, but I don't see him really doing it at the end of the day. Uh, instead, I see... Um, uh, it seems to me... Nor do I see him really opposing him, and, and the more I think about it, the more I'm thinking, like, I don't think he's going to get to a place where he has the guts to try to manipulate Morgoth. Um, and more importantly, I don't think we want to diminish Morgoth to the point where he is manipulable by Sauron. Yeah, and I, I don't agree. think we want to create that kind of situation where Morgoth would have to give Sauron the kind of smackdown that he would have merited yeah, uh, if exactly. Morgoth had twigged the fact that Sauron was trying to manip- manipulate him. So all of those things seem to open up situations that I don't think we yeah, want to go I there. But think. exactly what Oji Bray was just saying, what I do see Sauron doing is creating a lifeboat like i implied before so uh, he starts yeah. he starts like he, he keeps working with morgoth right contingency plans in other exactly words. he yeah. starts making a contingency plan uh maybe he gets the sense maybe maybe he unlike um sauron or more or sorry morgoth maybe he unlike morgoth um twigs to the fact that the the armies of the west are coming Right. Yeah. Or that they might, you know, Morgoth is all like, ah, you know, I am the ruler forever. And he's like, um, you know, not so sure about not that. Not hundred percent sure about that. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you like totally 75%, but I, I'm, I'm uh, 25% is saying maybe we need to out the door. <laughs> make it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe need to have a rainy day plan here at the same yeah, time. Yeah. No, uh, I think that's actually brilliant. I think that is, that makes, that makes sense to me. Yeah. The other thing, by the way, is I honestly don't see Sauron becoming anything like a dark Lord until after Morgoth's gone. There is that whole, that whole creation of him. 
into the Dark Lord is going to happen after Morgoth's gone. So he's different now than he will be later, I think. Yeah, yeah. Now we'll have to come back to Thu in a minute because we have to make Thu work right, within true. that context. Yeah. But 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 I agree with you. I agree with you in general. Um, uh, well, see, the nice thing, I mean, you know, uh, as you said in one of your uh, lectures, uh, Luthien makes him sit up and cry mommy. Right. So, you know, right. then it puts him, yeah. it's like, a you know, he regresses. <laughs> yeah, that. exactly. He's he's definitely got, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we can probably have, you know, some time where his he's first off. trying to be. Yeah, well, he's going to be, be like in therapy. He'll be like a gray lord. For crying out yeah. loud. Yeah, he'll be like I mean, a foggy lord. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, serious issues. Yeah, I'm thinking, by the way, history. so his um, his uh, his uh, uh, contingency plan, right? Sauron's lifeboat has got to be in the east. As Tony suggests, in right. the generally Mordorian area, right? That makes uh, sense. Um, like the, and, and of course, that's where we can then connect yeah. back with what we're setting into place in Hildorian now, right? Right. Right. Um, you know, we were talking about the kind of cult of Morgoth that will still grow and will be the end that will be the the you know in place for for Sauron to take advantage of later on. I think that's what he does. I think he starts taking mm-hmm. advantage of that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, by the way, quick idea that I just had as far as the Lords of the West are concerned, his pardon, like why he's not hauled off to prison. Um, I think that he. I think that he convinces them that he wasn't there. Like, and this makes it sound really silly. Like he's building up a kingdom in the east to give himself an alibi uh, to the lords of the west. <laughs> that's not exactly what I mean, but actually, that's kind of what I mean. Actually, so that like um, they come over and they're like, "So, Myron, as was, uh, you know, we hear you're like uh, Morgoth's number one lieutenant. I've been doing all these horrible things." And he's like, "Me? No. Look, I'm over here. Way. Gone. I got uh, an alibi. Yeah, I've yeah. been so far over here <laughs> building this like utopia over here in the east, right? Just me and these men hanging out and, and pay no attention to that volcano in the background. Living the higher life, and uh, you know, I because and and they're like." Well, weren't you with Morgoth? And you're like, yeah, but you know, we went in different directions. You know, I saw okay. he what he was doing was very, Artistic very difference. bad, very bad. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, I could tell he was going off the rails. So I was like, no, I'm I'm having nothing to do with that Melkor fellow anymore. And so here I, 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 as you can see, I went as far away from his kingdom as I possibly could go on this continent. You know, and then here I've just been trying to. You know, and build my little memory of Valinor, and I'm so glad you guys came to rescue us from that guy, right? I mean, that's this is basically. And here we have a situation where the Valar also make you know didn't learn from their bad decision the first time, and so they pardon him. Yeah, they 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 let him go. Yeah, exactly. Um, So yeah, that's 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 kind of how I, I, I. and this, of course, would explain why he's not around as much, right? Yes, we, we don't right. have to detach him. He can still be involved. He can still come in as a consultant, you know, to Morgoth. Um, but I'm thinking that's the move, right? He goes into the east after, like, that's where he ends up uh, after Luthien chases him away, right? He goes off uh, on a, you know, a constitutional, right? He's got to he's gotta, he's gotta go and, and, and get better, 
both in body and in ego. And then, uh, and and I'm thinking after his defeat by Luthien, um, I mean, good, just imagine how insufferable Gothmog has got to be after that. Right? Oh my God. I mean, oh my goodness. Like he's not going to be able to look Gothmog into the flaming eyes again for like <laughs> millennia after that. Um, but I do think that he is going to be involved. And Tony, I agree. I, I would like to see him as essentially uh, Melkor's sort of science officer, right? He's like yeah, the evil Dr. Definitely. Spock of Morgoth's right. uh, 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 realm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Mr. Spock, not Dr. Spock. That's somebody else entirely differently. But anyway, he's like the evil Mr. Spock, and he's, he, so he, he's the science officer. He, and he, he's the inventor, right? He's the cunning one. So, yes, I, I think it would be really fun uh, to see him create the uh, siege engines for the fall of Gondolin. That would be fun. Uh, absolutely. Um, anyway, yeah, lots of possibilities for all of that, uh, for all that kind of thing. So he can still be involved, but not a central character, but we can still visit him over in the East, right? I think it would be really fun for us to start building up in the later seasons of, uh, of, of the first age, right? Uh, to see him building up, um, uh, to, for for us to be building up the the storyline of the Easterlings, right? Yeah. Um. So that we we begin to to have a, a a real picture of the whole trajectory of the East and where we get to. I mean, how awesome is it going to be when like the Wayne Riders show up, right? And everyone in the audience like knows the whole history of the Wayne Riders. Like this is a you know, oh man. I know it's true. You know, it's like they're not just going to come out of nowhere. You yeah. know, like. He doesn't, you know, like in the books, I mean, I never really thought about it, but it's kind of like we have to just take it on faith, right? That he yeah. has these these affiliations and we get to actually show how they get formed. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I know. I think I, I think that would be a lot of fun. So anyway, okay. So if we get there, um, so yeah, I do think that his defeat by Luthien is going to be a real turning point. And the primary turning point for him, morally, spiritually, he's... Right now, he's still a manipulator. Right now, he's still... He begins to see other people, like the elves, more and more as tools, right? More and more as tools and instruments, and less and less as, you know, sort of... He never saw them quite as peers, but, um, you know, again, he was kind of... Originally, in in the super secret necromantic orc project, he was trying to lure them and sort of seduce them into being his companions, right? His, like, uh, you know, his, his helpers, like, you know, I mean, his junior partners, but his partners, right? Uh, in the work that he was doing for and with, uh, uh, the, you know, the vision, the, the, the Melkor vision for Middle Earth. Um, that was thwarted in a way which was distasteful to him when Morgoth came over and turned them all into orcs instead. Um, so, yeah, Tony, that, and good, thank you, Tony, for being persistent about that. I've seen that and I've been wanting to comment on that. Tony's thinking about him developing a disdain for free will. I he's got to come to the up. point yeah. yeah, where he's becomes more and more about dominion and less and less about and tony's uh, point was after the defeat of luthien is when he starts his yes exactly exactly yeah yeah so um so yes i think that we 
That's the turning point. So, so yeah, so the defeat by Luthien is going to be the turning point when he is going to be first really activated by rage and hatred himself. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he doesn't right now. He still doesn't really hate. He wants to utilize. He has the vision, right? He still has the vision of the. And again, Tony, I'm still willing to use Saruman's vocabulary, right? Knowledge, rule, order. That's what yeah. that's what Sauron is still about, um, and the vision of what he, that he wants to bring about. Um, and he's still wanting to sort of recruit and convince. Um, he knows that he can. So the elves from Valinor, he must see as. How would he see them? He would see them as what, like zealots? Like, he can't work with them, right? I mean, he can't, they're not, they're not gonna... Hmm. You know, are we gonna have the spell of Bottomless Dread? I might as well actually advance it to eight, since that's what I'm coming back to here. Are we gonna have the spell of Bottomless Dread be like uh, sort of a a parallel to um a parallel to uh the orc debacle right so he's there he's captured the elves right he's like okay all right i've got plans i'm capturing elves again so this is like the elf project take two right the elf project take one was going along fine until morgoth came and you know sort of Stumped Stumped on things. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That was, that was, that was uh, disappointing and unfortunate, but that's okay. We're, we've got the project going again. And of course, one of his primary goals here, obviously one of the, like his, his, his primary initiative here is to undermine this, is to destabilize Beleriand, right? Uh, Because if those, the, the Noldor have really changed the situation now, right? Um, before it looked like they were just going to be able to. I mean, the whole girdle of million thing was unexpected, admittedly. But you know, they were going to. But the other, the girdle of million has to have an upside from Sauron's point of view, right? Which is okay. So we can't get through there, and we can't access Doriath, and that's frankly embarrassing. But we get that's that leaves all the rest of Beleriand to us, right? So. You know, for the sake of seeding that small percentage, we get everything else. So now we have also trapped them within Doriath, right? Um, and can can establish our way through the rest of Beleriand. So again, there's kind of a, you know, sort of a lose-win situation there for uh, uh, from Sauron's perspective as far as the Girdle of Melian goes. But apart from the Girdle of Melian, they were kind of having their way with things, right? Things were going fine uh, in Beleriand. Not according to his original vision, mind, right? Because you'll remember we've got orc armies marching around doing stuff now. And, like, that's not the plan. That's not what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it, right? These armies, these, you know, stompy orcs going around just bashing and destroying things. That's not the picture. Um, So, he's capturing elves. He wants to make them into his spies, but he's going to convert them? Not convert them? Convince them? Recruit them? What's his plan? What is Sauron's plan? And is the spell of bottomless dread... So we could imagine the spell of bottomless dread as like, okay, I've been working on this, but it's not taking. Uh, You know, we need to bring in 
you know, uh, the big guns here. So Morgoth comes along and is like, all right, it's okay, fine. Here, let me do it. Wham! Right? And he weighs the spell of bottomless dread on them. And he's like, there. Now they'll do whatever you want. Right? So is this Morgoth kind of backing up Sauron's plan? Or is this Morgoth again stomping on Sauron's plan, do you think? I think he is wanting to recruit, he'd like to recruit them. You know, so Marie says, you know, recruit, coerce, convince. He'd like to recruit them and convince them. He's willing to coerce them if he has to, right? Oh, yeah, because he's totally got right on his side. I mean, yeah. he's totally got right yeah. on his side. Yeah. So they'll come and around, they're, and he'll make like, them come around. Yeah. Right, because, I mean, some of them, I mean, let's be honest, some of these elves are completely intra- intransigent, right? I mean, like, it's right, just, exactly. there's no talking to these people. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah. Yeah. Marie, I agree. I'm, so the more I'm thinking about this, the more the more I'm agreeing with with that. Marie says it's Morgoth, Morgoth is stomping again, but Sauron welcomes it this time. Um, yes. Yes. I think that where he found um, where he found. Morgoth's orc thing distasteful. I think that this he finds quite up his street, right? Um, the way that he, the kind of the kind of the kind of impression, right, that Morgoth is able to make. Talk about understatement, right? The kind of impression that Morgoth is able to make. Um, yet, you know, and Tony again. I'm I'm coming back to. Um, I'm coming back to, you know, you're thinking about dominion and free will, right? Um, This is what he sees here is Morgoth just overriding them, right? Just crushing their minds and overriding their wills completely and uh, subjecting their wills utterly to his power. And yeah, I think Sauron kind of looks at that and is like, hey... That's good. That works. That. Yeah, that works. Um, yeah. Um, yes, Sauron, Sauron learns the value of stompiness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, where he because he's, it's another step that he has not yet really taken, or at least not yet consciously taken. I mean, what he was doing with the elves uh, originally, right back in the second season. Uh, when he was doing his proto-orc project, um, what he was doing was still coercive, right? I mean, he, what he was doing was manipulative. He was do, he was doing like brainwashing tactics, and you know, I, th- he was. It's not that he was doing right by the elves that he captured or anything, or that he was being gentle or just giving them a firm talking to, but he never did anything that he could not tell himself was not just trying to recruit them, trying to convince them, right? Trying to enlighten them, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Marie, you're right. I mean, okay, so he was performing necromancy and ripping out their souls, admittedly, but for their own good, you know? Like, it was, it was they, were, they were benefiting. He was upgrading them. See, that's the thing. He was upgrading them. It was in their best interest, right? Um, he was improving them um, because that's what you do when you're the one with the vision, 
right? When you're the one who knows what should happen, it's the kind of thing that you can do. Just as, just as the elves were placed by, by Iluvatar in Middle-earth in order for them to bless and enhance Middle-earth with their own artistry, so Sauron, as Maya, was his job is to enhance the children, right, the elves themselves, mm-hmm. by, uh, and, and with, through his artistry, right? So it's, this is very simple. I mean, it might look really evil, like from the outside, but really, he has the best of intentions, uh, and... Um, and it's not obviously bad, right? Um, yeah, and and again, obviously, the gap between what he's telling himself and what he's actually doing, right, uh, becomes more and more visible pretty quickly, right? Um, but that's exactly it's both of those things that I want to that I want to kind of keep, um, uh, keep, um, our focus on here, right? So, okay. Um, so where is he now? Morgoth is going to come in and lay the whammy on them. And he's going to like, and he's going to be like, okay, you know what? This is what's necessary, right? This is where I failed before. He's going to be like, I failed. I admit it. My original plan, you know, my whole original necromantic thing with the upgrades and stuff like it just it didn't take it didn't work out. And I was too gentle. I was insufficiently forceful. And it, maybe he has a moment where he's like, oh, man, like I was going all man way on them. Right. I was I was, you know, I lost the vision. Right. It's about force. Right. It's about doing what must be done. Uh, in order to, to, to accomplish things. So, okay. Yeah. Great. All right. Okay. So new point spell of bottomless dread. This is great. So yeah, Tony, maybe this is the, the spell of bottomless dread is itself. I think the seed of the ring of power, right? The kind of dominion that he wants to establish over, um, you know, the other wielders of the ring, like that, this is what's going to be like the foretaste of like wraithification and the kind of dominion that he has over the ring wraiths and that he's attempting to establish over the elves and everything. Right. This is, this is, this is like, he's watching the spell of bottomless dread and is like, Oh, okay. Okay. I could work with this. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Good. I like that. Um, I like that. Oh, and uh, just a very brief note. So, uh, uh, Tim, I saw your comments. I don't want you to think I'm totally ignoring you, but I totally don't have time to, like, we talked about that stuff, like the, the character of Melkor and like what it means to depict, to, you know, uh, his evil and stuff. And I will say briefly, Tim, and this is unfair because I'm saying this briefly and then I'm not going to be able to give you a chance to go back and forth with me on this here and now. Um, but I completely disagree with you about Sauron and Melkor in Tolkien's works. Completely disagree with you um, uh, about rationality, about destructiveness and about what evil is in Tolkien. Um I don't have time to talk about that right now because we talked about that a long time ago and we don't have time to go over that ground again. But I promised him, if we get a chance, let's 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 uh, uh, have a meal together at uh, Mythmoot next week and we'll fight about it. I'm totally ready to have this argument with you, uh, but just not tonight. So, so I just want to I just want to let you know I'm not ignoring you. Um, okay, yeah, rain check on that one exactly. Okay. Um, 
So, uh... Yeah, Rhiannon, that is interesting. I love that. So Rhiannon says, maybe Sauron sees Morgoth's first attempt at the spell of bottomless dread, which is uh, Evelos, uh, Angrod's wife, um, going too far. Uh, so he talks Morgoth into not driving them totally mad, but but still kind of controlling them. So we get um, the sort of more nuanced, um, the more nuanced thing uh, uh, that he does with others like uh, Anil and Maeglin eventually. Um yeah, yeah. Um, again, I want to be careful. We have to be careful not to uh, make Sauron nuanced at Morgoth's expense. Um, that's a constant temptation, really. Um, but um, anyway, I... I um, uh, yeah. You see what I mean, Rhiannon? Like, it'd be really easy for him to be the brainy one, Sauron to be the brainy one, and Morgoth just comes in and he's like, I shall smash their brains! And and then Sauron's like, oh, okay, no, that was good and stuff, but maybe a little more gently, big guy, okay? Because let's think let's think this through, and uh, how this might be more effective, and Morgoth is like, oh, okay, I shall do it differently then. Like, you know, obviously we can't go quite that far. Uh, and I'm not... Morgoth I'm, 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 smash! Morgoth smash, exactly, <laughs> is kind of where we're ending up there. And, um, uh, anyway, I, I, and again, I know, Rhiannon, I know you're, you weren't suggesting that we depict Morgoth that way. But again, my fear is that it's easy to kind of slide into that, right? Um, I, there's no way that Sauron sees the usefulness of an alteration to the spell of Bottomless Dread more than Morgoth does, or more quickly than Morgoth does, right? Um, Morgoth has to be at least as strategically brilliant about this kind of thing as Sauron but what I think we can see is a difference in their goals, a distinction in their goals, right? As we saw dramatized much more fully in the orc issue, right? Um, uh, and, okay, so Tim here, I'm being totally unfair and slightly coming back to what I said I wasn't going to talk about. Since Morgoth's return, he is more interested in, in destroying things now. Um, his vision has changed, his experiences, the the line he crossed in Valinor at the end of season two with the darkening of Valinor, um, the pain that he has experienced and still experiences from the burning of the Silmarils, um, his restriction to his form, he has changed. He is no longer the guy with the vision, the unscrupulous vision, but the vision, nevertheless, um, uh, for bigger and better Arda, Right, that he was in season one. Sauron has not changed to that extent. Sauron still has that vision. So Morgoth now is much more interested in smashing things out of spite and anger. Sauron isn't there yet. Post Luthien, he's going to be a little closer to that, but he's definitely not there yet. Um, so again, that's the distinction. It's not that Sauron is the smart one and Morgoth is dumb, it's that they. Morgoth, Sauron is wanting to build, and Morgoth is is uh, a little more interested in destruction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they have different goals, but they're um, um, anyway. Um, okay, let's. Uh, I don't want to totally. We've like not talked at all about the ban or like anything of episode seven. So let me come back to this 
And we don't have the luxury of a three-hour podcast like we did on Fridays. True. True, yes, that is one thing. Uh, like, on the one hand, I don't have anything to go off to right away after this, like I usually do. Uh, but at the same time, I want to have a certain amount of mercy on folks and not keep people up until, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. So, um, uh, yeah. Good. Nick, I think that that's, uh, that's, that's a really good distinction. Nick says... Um, they have different goals, or he says maybe a better way to put it is that the desired end state is different. Um, yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, or, or even, uh, Nick, here's another thing I would offer with that. Um, both of them, as like qua evil people in Tolkien's world, right? One of the common characteristics of people like how you can tell people are on that path is the, you know, one of the red flags, big red flags, right. Is subordinating the, uh, the mean, the, 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 the means to the ends, right. Um, being willing to perform these means, you know, any means in order to achieve those ends, what they are willing to do in order to get there is still different. Not in the sense that Morgoth is like more evilness. I mean, I think that's true, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is, Morgoth is about asserting his dominion and he is ready to smash a lot of it in order to get there. Like he's ready to smash it and build it up from the rubble. Sauron doesn't want to do that, right? That's not how he wants to get there. That's not the, that's not the, the methods that he would choose. Um, uh, yeah, Marie, exactly. Destruction rather than creation. Um, both of them, I think. I mean, if you sat them down, Right in a constructive therapy session at this point, halfway through season four, I think that both Morgoth and Sauron would tell you that ultimately creation is what they're about. Right, they're about making a, a bigger, better, beautiful world, and they're the ones who have the plan and know how to do that. The difference is, Sauron wants to take the world, like sort of as is, right, and 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 move it forward. Morgoth is at the point where he's like, you know what? I'm going to have to wreck most of this joint. Like, we're going to have to really level this place before we can build it up, right? Um, I think that he has become more and more disgusted with the world as it is and wanting to smash it, still telling himself that the smashing is the step, the next step. You've got to demolish before you can construct, right? I think that he would still be telling himself that. Um, but, um, uh, but I don't... Um, I, I, and but whereas Sauron, I don't think would would say that, right? He still thinks that what is can be used and enhanced and 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 modified, right? Um, like he's been trying to do with the uh, the elves. Um, yeah, Rhiannon suggests that the smashing of Ethelos's mind could be a reaction to her being rebellious or defying him somehow. Um, kind of like that. Lorian, and the big question that I immediately ask is why the difference between Ethelos and Hurin, therefore? Why doesn't he smash Hurin in the same way? He, he smashes Hurin, but not in the same way, right? Um, yeah, he doesn't smash. That's not quite right. Um, Hurin is unsmashed. Um, yeah, no, exactly. I'm not mistaking what he does to Hurin for mercy, Marie, at all. But it's it's a very different approach. Like he takes a very different approach with Hurin than he does with Ethelos. So, um, yeah, yeah. Tony and Nick are both thinking that Hurin is more valuable to him on Smashed. Um, yeah, sure. No, I can see that. Well, anyway, I don't want to get too worried about Hurin. And anyway, I want to get back to Thingol. But okay, 
I feel much better. I'm so glad that we talked about Sauron, and now I'm a little bit more ready to do a like <laughs> Ang Band episode in episode eight. Uh, you know, and I think um, I think that's really good. I think it would be interesting to show. So actually, why don't I just we kind of finish some of this stuff up while we're here and have been talking about Sauron the entire time. Um, Gothmog and Bulldog, what are they up to with the Orc army? Uh, they're trying to do like anything, right? Um, they're trying to do anything. They're not successfully doing anything, um, uh, anything major, right? And I think that we can see, do we follow Sauron? Is Sauron our, like, not point of view, like the camera is coming out of his eyes, but um, is he the character that we sort of follow through this episode? I would be fine with that if we did. We followed Thorin no, Grethel before, that and that be... was fun. I don't know. But it's, so if we follow Sauron, and I kind of like this because this gives us the opportunity to, um, uh, this kind of gives us an opportunity to think about, um, to see Morgoth from the outside, to see Gothmog and Bulldog and the armies from the outside. Um, and also of course, to just hear from Sauron more and kind of get grounded in his point of view. So yeah. So we think about that. Um, I think that he thinks that, and this is going to be a really interesting thing moving forward for the next 25 years is Sauron despises orcs, despises them. Um, when he looks at the orcs, he still sees his beautiful superior project that got wrecked. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's going to be awfully interesting to work that in later on. Right, thinking about Sauron's relationship with orcs in the Third Age. Anyway, never mind. Not the concern right now, but interesting stuff. Um, let's see. Would Gothmog and Bulldog have opposite military philosophies? Gothmog being about just sort of force, and uh, Bulldog about discipline and order. So we have like soldiers versus like the kind of berserker approach. Maybe. I mean, I could see that. I mean, I think that Bulldog and Gothmog are clearly on the same page. And what's more, there's a clear pecking order. They're not in rivalry with each other, right? Bulldog is the soldier. He takes orders, right? Um, uh, So he serves under Gothmog and I think has no problem with it. Bulldog is not trying to set up on his own um, in competition with any of them. Um, uh, Yeah, so... So yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, there's definitely a pecking order there, um, but yeah, I think that Sauron, uh, he's not a big fan of the whole battle plan um, because he despises orcs and he doesn't think it's going to work. And what's more, he doesn't um, again. He's not a big fan of smashing Balerion. That's not what he wants exactly. Um, I think that his vision. So what is Sauron's vision? Sauron's vision is. To, he wants to set them against each other so that he can, like, annex them separately. And by annex, I mean I, that he can, you know, recruit them each separately. Like, get them... 
um, get them all kind of working for him. Um, uh, yeah. His plan is much more devious and again, ultimately towards the uh, conversion, dominion of all of them. Uh, but again, sort of as is and then building on that rather than like, let's just kill them all and be done. Uh, okay. Well, let's get back to Thingol. We're going to talk about Thingol here. Okay. Kyrdin. Meanwhile, back in Doriath. Meanwhile, back in Doriath. Um, uh, yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly, Nick. It's like a strategy game, right? You absorb one enemy faction at a time. Uh, yeah, no, that's exactly it. That's exactly his plan. And that's why he wants to foment the problems uh, like the kinslaying here, which we're about to talk about. So Kyrdin has figured it out. Now remind me, because it was like, what, like four weeks ago, which is like, might as well be ten years ago, um, that we talked about this. So re- remind me what we talked about with Kyrdin. Kyrdin... Um, Thorngwethel comes, right? Is it Thorngwethel or Sauron? One of the two of them comes. Which one was it? I can't remember. Uh, comes in disguise, right? Um, they have figured we, in episode five, that was the Thorngwethel point of view episode where she's going and spying on people. And so that's where we're seeing everything being built in people's capitals and stuff. So we're visiting and seeing, uh, you know, the Leaguer of Angband being established and all that kind of thing. Uh, so we get that through throwing Grethel's eyes in episode five, and she picks up um, sheep. Oh, that was four. I thought that was five. No, five was the Marathatterthat. I'm sorry, four. Right, right. So in four, she goes through and she picks up all that stuff, uh, and she, um, um, okay. So she learns not everything. She doesn't have the whole story, right? Um, but she learns several things. And she comes to Kyrdan with several pieces of information. The primary piece of information that she comes to him with in episode six is that it was Feanor who burned the ships. And we know that Kyrdan was super concerned about the burning of the ships, like he would be, right? And learning that Feanor burned the ships leads him to a really horrible suspicion, right? Because he hasn't been told. Did we say, does Thoringwethel take a shot in the dark, right, at the end with Kyrdin? Yes, she did. Does she take a shot in the dark, like, that, you know, does she plant the idea that, um, uh, uh, that, um, yeah, does she plant the idea that, uh, of like, not the kinsling, like exactly what happened, but, you know, if they took those ships and burned them, is she, you know, is she the one who kind of floats it out there? Like, did the Noldor take those ships by violence, right? Did they commit yeah, violence? Yeah, because I, I remember, I remember us saying that she doesn't have to tell him any lies. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. He's speculating. Just... Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. So Maria's th- very kindly, as she is so good at doing, reminding me of our trajectory here. Episode four, she figures out that the Noldor, she knows the Noldor are hiding something. Um, 
Kierden is the only one with any suspicion. Then in episode five, Kierden is the only one with suspicions. Um, he is he is clearly leaving the Marathatterthad uneasy and uncertain, um, and so they identify him as their mark. Uh, Sauron and Thoringwethel do, and then Thoringwethel comes to him and tells him that Fanor burned the ships. Um, so, and then encourages he he is then speculating and following the logic train because that really is the key fact, right? Um, from that, he can pretty much work out that the kinslaying or something darn near to it happened, right? Um, that one key fact is enough. And uh, and she eggs his suspicions on. So, so Kierden is now coming to Thingol and saying, okay, now, so there was discussion, I know, on the boards about his uh, sort of demeanor, his sort of attitude. Um I think that he is going to be cautious, right? Because it's not like he no, he's not. He doesn't have a smoking gun, right? Um, the you know smoking rubble of ships, not the same thing. He doesn't have a smoking gun. He uh, all he has is one very disquieting fact of which he doesn't have proof, by the way, right? But you know it fits. Um, and then he has a very disturbing chain of speculation. Uh, coming from that. Um, uh, Nick, I think we had said that Thorin Gwethel was going to go to Kyrdin disguised as a Cinda um, who had, like, overheard this from the Noldo, right? So she was claiming that she got this information from the Noldo, and so she was coming to Kyrdin because she was, you know, disturbed, like, that they were lying, right? And then he never sees that random lady again. Yeah, exactly. Um uh, for which there could be any number of perfectly valid explanations, obviously. Um, but um, anyway, so um, so Kierden again, it fits with Kierden's speculations because Kierden knows there are no orc bodies, right? There, like, there's no evidence that there was a battle there. Um, he's, you know, he's, and so his only theory, the only theory possible, right, was that the enemy must have burned them which means there must have been a battle, but there was no evidence of a battle. So that uh, inconsistency has been bothering him, but he, the real solution was inconceivable, especially to him, right? Kierden is literally the last elf in Arda who would leap to the conclusion, maybe they just set fire to these greatest of all ships ever built, just like wantonly, right? I mean, he, that is literally going to be the last thing he's going to imagine. Um, and when he's told it, it's going to shock him so much, as it should, um, that he is... Uh, that his mind is going to be opened to the horrible possibility, though I think in his mind, in one sense, barely more horrible possibility, because one who could, and anyone who could do that, anyone who could burn those ships like Feanor did, leaving as and of course, and he would he would figure out the Helcaraxa thing too, right? Um, abandoning Fingolf, and again, that also fall, follows logically based on the facts that they know and 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 what he learns. Um, yeah. All of a sudden, now the kinslaying is no longer inconceivable to him. So here's what I'm thinking, is that, and I think, I'm probably saying the really obvious thing, but like you said, you know, he doesn't absolutely know, but he suspects well enough that he can go tell Thingol. When Thingol confronts Angrad and Finrod, then he's 
he's confronting them to get the truth out of them. Yes. I had a thought, and I don't know if we've talked about this. Would Melian be with Thingol, and would she do one of her things with them? You know, like a Galadriel mind thingy with them or something. I mean, is she? Could she be part of that confrontation and I, have an effect on those guys? Or I don't know. Okay, so let's think about let's think about this. Thingol. Thingol's a little impetuous, right? I mean, there is a lot in Thingol's history which says, I often talk before I think, right? We see this with Baron. We see this, true. We see this with uh, the dwarves who kill him, right? I mean, like, you know, this is sort of known, right? Um, so, uh, I think that... Um, what if he... Kyrdan and Thingol are talking privately, right? So this is not like a throne room issue, right? Kyrdan is calm and Thingol's like, hey, that's great, you know, like, let's go, you know, have a... whatever we're going to have. Let's go beat the truth out of these guys. Well, no, no. Like, first they just go talk, right? They talk oh, and then Kyrdan oh, oh, is it, like, oh, okay, it, so... Okay. And then he lays it out for him, right? And Kyrdan is going to lay it out like calmly and patiently. I really like this. Uh, I forget who it was. I think it was, um, was it Hakan Marie? I can't remember which one it was. Hakan. It was Hakan who was saying that, you know, Kyrdin is going to come and he's going to be like a more in sorrow than an anger kind of deal. Right. Where he's going to be like, I have to tell you, and I'm not a hundred percent sure, but right. let me walk you through what I've seen. And then I'm just going to leave it to you, my King to judge. Um, and, so Thingol hears this, right? So so he, he hears this stuff later, and he comes to the same conclusion that Círdan did, but he comes to it harder. Um, right. And Angrod and 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 uh, and and Finrod are there, right? So he then picks up and he goes like storming into the room. So he bursts into the room where Angrod and and Finrod are, and he speaks rashly, right, to them. Uh, accusing them, right? I, you know, I marvel that you come thus red-handed, you know, from, uh, you know, with the, the you know, the, the We should use that line. We absolutely should it's use that line. It's not a copyright. Line. I mean, that, that is, and besides which, it, uh, it's, remember, one of the beauties of the Silm Film Project from the beginning, since we're not actually producing it, we can say whatever we want. So we're imagining full, uh, full text rights. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so he bursts in on them. Nick, I'm thinking they're probably not in the hot tub. Oh, oh you're thinking of uh, Kyrdan and Thingol in the hot tub. Yeah, no, Kyrdan and Thingol can't be in a hot tub because I don't want Thingol to be, like, dripping wet, like, when he's making when his he accusation. Yeah. He needs a little more gravitas than that, I think. But and this um, will really be the first time we see Thingol being hot-headed, right? I mean, yes. we haven't really seen him demonstrate this kind of behavior. I don't think yet. so. No, because, I mean, again, we, we can't make him a caricature, but he's definitely no. prone to this, like, He's prone to temper and to rash assertions of his own will. Right. And, and we'll see like the mistake he makes is he doesn't go straight to his wife and talk this over first. Right. Right. Uh, Instead he runs right in and confronts them. uh, And then, and his anger, right. And then Angrod is feeling all sore, right. From, 
his conflicts with the Fanorians, and Angrod we know is also not the like longest tempered person in the world, right? He's got a fairly short fuse himself, and so he busts out and admits the truth. And Finrod is like all uncomfortable in every direction, right? Like, oh, Thingle, uh, yeah, well, how about that? And then you know, oh, Angrod, yeah, well, okay, because this whole time, Finrod is. Yeah, trying sense, to, to, he's trying, and, and I, I love that first point, right? Finrod has come to Thingol because he, he is trying, he is the number one, he's not the ambassador, but he is the number one advocate for cooperation. Uh, not just like the intermingling of the Sindar and the Noldor, as we have seen in Nevrast, for instance, but the, the alliance between, with Doriath itself, right? Um, he wants to see Doriath being actively involved in the larger campaign against Morgoth. Um, and he's trying to bring that about, and he sees what a PR nightmare this whole situation is, right? Um, and so when Angra, you know, he's got to, he's got to be, you know, not rolling his eyes, that's belittling, right? But the, you know, the kind of like, oh, great, you know, now... Head in, head in hand. Yes, kind of. exactly. Yeah. Um, there goes um, the plan. There goes yeah. my hope of a joint project. Exactly right. This is just this is this is going to set things back a long, long ways. Right. Um, and in doing this, he's very wise, right? He's very wise. I mean, he he knows how important it is for them all to work together. He sees even. Could we even have Finrod say something like, um, you know? Uh, Something along the lines of this, I'm sure this is exactly what the enemy would want, is for us to be divided in this way. You know, like that Finrod perceives, even if Finrod does not directly, in fact, perceive the hand of the enemy at work uh, in this whole story, right? Um, uh, And maybe Well, I mean, it's hard for him to, because he knows knows what the truth is, right? So it's not like, he's not saying you've been misled by the enemy. Right. Right. That's the problem. Right. right? Yeah. That's the, that's the cleft stick that Finrod is in. Like he, he knows that the Noldor in fact have done wrong. And he knows that he is culpable, not of the kinslaying, but of hiding the kinslaying. He's being part of the cover up. Um, But I could see him saying something like, this is what the enemy would want as his way of trying to diplomatically, you know, mend fences or kind of, like stitch things together kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think that made, makes sense that he would sort of take that stand or try to take that approach. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, he's in no position. He's got to see he's no. in no position. Right? He's at a serious disadvantage. I mean, this is, this is, yes. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I agree. Like suggesting to Thingol that he is being a pawn of the enemy, probably not the best route to the best tack no. to take in this particular moment. I agree. But like um, if anything, that's going to make Thingol even more angry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, Thingol's not. He's not going to hear that. But because again, Thingol's response. You know, if 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 Finrod attempts to do the whole like, oh, but um, you know, this is just what the enemy wants, right? And we're playing directly into the hands of the enemy, and it is doubtless them. You know, this whole situation is doubtless partly you know manipulated by the malice of the enemy. Um, uh, 
but like Thingol's response to that has to be like, yeah, right, okay, but did the Noldor in fact slay our kin, and did you in fact, oh cousin mine, <laughs> uh, cover this up deliberately? Uh, okay, yeah, the answer is yes. Okay, that's what. So, so let's deal with that fact first, right? You know, so it's, it's, again, there's there's no, uh, um, yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so how are Melian, Luthien, and Galadriel involved? Thank you. I was going to, I was going to say that I was going to say, I'd like to include Galadriel in that. It's time to, it's, it's, it's time to bring some X chromosomes into this discussion here (laughs) where where I, I, I don't know. I can't help but think they're, they're, they're slightly needed here. Um, do they so, come in? By the way, do one or all of them show up during this confrontation, or is it after the fact that they actually come and try to, you know? Question: How often do we see Melian walking around? I just realized that <laughs> I, I kind of, and I never, I never even scrutinized this in my own mind at all. But I just realized that for years I've kind of pictured Melian almost permanently attached to her throne, you know, like. Melian or like is the a, Lady of Shalott up in the tower. And well, she's no, she's just, she's like she is like ex cathedra, right? Like she's always in her place. Like you go to Melian, she doesn't come to you. Like you don't pass Melian in the hallway on the in way the to hallway. lunch, right? Like you know, you know, like I, I mean, of course you should, right? I, I, I don't, you know, um, I, I, I'm not suggesting right, she, she actually remains like there Maybe permanently. She just, like, you know, transports herself places, right? Right. You know, uh, maybe I know she's got to have a body, but anyway, it's uh, no. I just kind of realized in my head that's like I associate Melian so firmly with the like giving pronouncements and you know sitting oh, yeah, there the in grotto. the room and staring people. Uh, um, the grotto from episode what three? Yes. Is? Yes. The epicenter of the girdle. Yeah. But still. Yeah. Could be the same no, thing, exactly. No, I, I'm not suggesting we limit her to that. I was just realizing that, like, in my own mind, <laughs> I have that problem. But have we had her? I, the other question is, so far in the show, have we had her walking around? And, well, again, like, we've not, like, again, we haven't, like, you know, run into her at the water you know. cooler or anything, but we... No, no, but, I mean, has she been yeah, kind no, of... No, definitely, definitely. I mean, when when she does the girdle, she's, like, yeah, advancing right, out right, into right. the, yeah, you know... Sure, sure. Yeah. No, that's we. You know, we, we've definitely had our mobile, exactly, Nick. And I know that's oh, true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, she was at the feast earlier in episode. Yeah, she one. participates yeah. in like normal earthly conversations. Yeah. No, stuff. exactly. Yeah, yeah. She's okay. not totally. Well, and we've had her talk to Galadriel, right? Haven't we already had like some conversations yep. between her and which Galadriel don't have to happen right? while she's sitting on her chair? So yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Like she I could be I, walking I'm, somewhere. I'm willing to take her out of her chair. You know, let's <laughs> let's. Have uh, any conversations between Melian and Luthien? I know we had Galadriel and Luthien become friends, right? Have we done any kind of development of Luthien at this point, or we may not need to worry too well, much about it? Well, we we had the Luthien moment, of course, at the Marathatterthad, which will be the last time we oh, right, right, had right. Luthien. Um, yeah, uh, that's right. It's the last time we saw her. Um, uh, I like the suggestion. Who said, was it Rihanna? Was it your suggestion? Somebody was suggesting. Um, that we sort of set up as a, as a setup for the ban, we have uh, Luth, uh, Galadriel teaching Luthien a Quenya song, um, 
Oh yeah. Yeah, she is. She is. Uh, she is. Uh, uh, yeah, it, Marie. Exactly. Marie says Luthien has kind of taken on Goadriel as a sort of surrogate right. sister. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so we have Goadriel teaching Luthien a Quenya song of the Blessed Realm. Right. Um, yeah, Rihanna, that was your suggestion. Great. I really love that suggestion, actually. Um, uh, so yeah, so we show them together. But anyway, so so how do they? How does this? How does this uh, come in? I, I don't think we have them come in. Like we have them break in and be like, "What are you guys doing here?" And why? Right. This, this is why we can never leave y'all alone. Right? Um, we can't leave you alone for a minute. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. It's, oh man. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. No. So we. Um, um, I think we have uh, Thingol goes, goes back to, to his private apartments. Right. He yeah, goes, he goes to talk again. to Melian about this. So he has like ha- he does it halfway right. He, right. He, he goes to talk to Melian. He just <laughs> doesn't do it. Sucks. He should, exactly. He should have done that before going to confront his cousins, but he doesn't. Um, so um, yeah, he. Um, uh, so I could see a scene, I could see two scenes, right? Uh, so we have the four-way, right? The Kyrdin, well, like Kyrdin is kind of a, you know, hanger on at this, by this time, right? But we have, so we have the, the you know, Kyrdin and Thingol with Angrod and Finrod. And then Thingol leaves, right? Uh Storms out with he some does. heat. He yeah, out. so he yes. he he is angry, and so and I mean I think that the conversation doesn't go on for very much longer after Finrod mm-hmm. attempts to point out the whole this is the will of the enemy at work. And uh, anyway, right. So Thingol leaves and he goes to Melian. So we have a Thingol and Melian conversation about this, and then we have a Galadriel and Angrod and Finrod conversation. Right. Ah, yes, that makes sense. Um, and uh, and yeah, Marie, I agree. Goadriel's got to be ticked, right? Um, that, oh yeah. Th- uh, that they've spilled the secret that she's been concealing the entire time that she's been here, right? Um, now she's already. She did tell Celeborn, right? Uh, yes, yes. She has told Celeborn. She told. But Caliborn. he's not said anything. Of but course, exactly, so, yeah. he has. He has preserved her, uh, her confidence. Well, I'm sure Kyrdan never finds that out. He'll be pissed at Celeborn. Well, that's going to come out, right? That's going to come out <laughs> in like episode ten or something. Maybe that's why they end up getting like you know. That's going to uh, be the like the engagement, like the public banished. Like, yeah, yeah. No, how they end up in yeah, Lorien? <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about this a bit. Uh, before, which is that Thingol's going to find out that Celeborn knew uh, and yeah. he's going to be angry and Celeborn's response to that is going to be to propose to Galadriel. Right? Like he's... <laughs> like, right. Celeborn doubles down, basically, right? <laughs> on his solidarity with the Noldor. Um, and that's yeah, for know, episode 11. Like, that's fun. we have Celeborn, you know, who what... Celeborn's been from, like, Círdan, right? He's He's been sort of a Círdan man. Yes, but yes. this also would kind of explain maybe why, you know, he ends up in Lorien eventually, because this kinslaying is going to actually re- redound and echo through the years, I would say. You know, right. that... A little bit of I think, tension. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we've... I, I don't know that Tolkien did that much of that. Well, of course he didn't in Lord of the Rings, but I mean, I would think it would be sort of a sore point for quite some time. Since yeah, these guys and, lived for so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And O.G. Bray, yes, this is the start of the reason why Goadriel leaves Doriath. I mean, right. I do think yes. that yes, yes. this is the beginning of the end of Goadriel's 
happy time in Doriath um, when she was trying to recover herself. And this is not yet really fully helping uh, uh, her to do this. Um, By the way, Marie, I think it's fine for us to wait. And it might seem awkward for us to wait till episode 11, all the way to 11 until the truth comes out about Celeborn. But I think it's fine, actually. Like, um, Thingol is going to figure out right away that Galadriel's been hiding this, right? Obviously. Um, But the thing that he doesn't know and will not yet find out is that Celeborn knew. Right. Um, And I would think that he might be inclined to encourage Galadriel to leave, but Melian won't go there. Melian wants Galadriel to stay. Um, uh, So Galadriel's going to stick around even though, even though things are a little tenser for her. Um, and she probably doesn't hang out with Thingol quite as much as she used to do. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. But she's so, yeah. So Ooh, the, this could be the start of like, you know, Luthien getting not uh, corrupt. It's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Luthien kind of, I don't know. I'm, it's yes, late. I'm, yes. I'm punchy, but you know what I mean? It's like, no, no, I agree. Of, the, 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 the sort of the, the gap between her and her dad. Yes. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. That's what I was just thinking. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, which, which then when the Baron thing comes up, you know, Luthien's not acting strangely to us. You know, yeah. I mean, in other words, we've yeah. kind, it's kind of been coming. I would think that she, the way that Luthien would handle this now, Galadriel, Galadriel's opinion of Thingol is going to go down. Right. Um, Galadriel's going to disapprove of Thingol. Uh, Luthien is going to see Thingol being harsh to Galadriel She's not going to mm-hmm. like it. I agree with that. You know, that it's it's going to open up. But she's going to make excuses for Thingol now. Right? Sure. Um, sure. That makes sense. So that the experience she has with Baron in... She's going to bring Baron back to her father's throne room. Right? And she's going to do that believing and hoping and expecting that things are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. That she can make things okay. You know, uh, with her dad. Um and it's only like what is going to change for Luthien after that confrontation with Baron in the throne room is she's going to be like, okay, I was making excuses for dad before, but I was wrong. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Goadriel was mm-hmm. right all along. Mm-hmm. She's, so she's not going to be a hundred percent. She's going to see Goadriel's point of view, point but of she's view. still yeah. going to be making excuses for dad at mm-hmm. this point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, so, uh, so Nick, the business with Celeborn, um, there's no reason for anyone to know that he knew. So like, he doesn't have to keep lying to Thingol. He's not going to carry. He's not going to uh, just avoid him. <laughs> well, no, because the only thing, the only secret that isn't going to come out until episode eleven is that he knew beforehand. Beforehand, yeah. And I don't know that Thingol necessarily suspects that. And Celeborn certainly, it's not like there's a duty for Celeborn to say, like, when Thingol comes out with this, Celeborn, there's no duty for Celeborn to be like, um, actually, I already knew that. Because in saying that, he's betraying Galadriel's confidence. Not just the confidence that the kinslaying happened, right? Because to Celeborn, from the beginning, it's never been about the kinslaying. It's about her. Right. The reason he has kept her confidence is that he has pity on her personal suffering. 
right? And so even now, yeah, the whole Kinslaying thing is out of the bag, but he doesn't, he's not gonna, for him to come to Thingol and be like, oh yeah, I knew about this a long time ago, is not only unwise as far as he is concerned, but it's also, it would be like a counselor, you know, talking about her personal issues, right? Well, and given that Galadriel is going to be seeing a lot less of Thingol and Galadriel is going to be hurting as a result of this, he's still going to have her his attention on her. Exactly. So Celeborn is still going to be focused on Galadriel. And I don't think it would ever occur to Thingol to say, no. gee, I wonder if Celeborn, you know what I mean? If he knew about it all along. Exactly. It'll come as a yeah, shock to him when he finds gonna, out. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's He never could pretty. imagine that, that Celeborn would do that, that he would, that he would withhold that obviously important information and not do what Curden did, which has come to him as soon as he <laughs> learns about this. But the, and, and it's not that Celeborn doesn't care about the kinslaying. It's right. that in Celeborn's mind, like his, his pity for Goadriel, his, his yeah. concern for Goadriel personally outweighs right. his large, the larger political interest. Like he, it is he he feels it m- to be more important uh, to help Goadriel through her difficult time here right. than it is for Thingol to know about the kinslaying. And um, I could totally see him finding out about Celeborn being the straw that breaks, and he banishes them, or you know, or hastens their departure. You know um, what I mean? Once he finds yes, out. Yes, exactly. And th- yeah, exactly. So that like the two of them, after they get married, are not going to set up their permanent home here in Doriath, <laughs> right? Neither one of them will be 100%. I mean, I think everybody will be more comfortable when the two of them move out and get their Our own God. place, right? Yeah, That's right. exactly. That's right. Um, uh, but... Um, but Melian is not going to be okay with booting Goadriel right away. I think Thingol's impulse right. will be to be like, you're not super welcome here anymore, Goadriel, right? Because you've been lying to us this whole time. You have, you have, uh, you know, I mean, he's going to be upset. Um, and Goadriel is Goadriel. She's not going to take the ban lying down. She's going to speak right. against the ban, right? She would. She's going to, she's going right. to be like, this is a stupid idea and you're doing the work of the enemy here. Like this is, this is, this is Which is going to make him even more pissed. Exactly. <laughs> so he's going to be like, there's the door and Melian's going to be like, no, 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 no. Right. Um, and she she's going to insist on allowing Galadriel to stay, and Galadriel is going to kind of want to go. We need to have a, we need to have a, a scene, right? We need to have a scene where Galadriel's going to go. She's done, right? With thing, yeah, she's done. Yeah. She's going to leave, and Caliborn convinces her to stay, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and that can be the first moment. So far, the interest has been kind of one directional, right? Not, mm-hmm. not like it's totally unreciprocal. I mean, she does like him, right? She does admire, she does appreciate what he's done. Um, but I think we've made, haven't we made the parallel to Faramir and Eowyn? That's what it makes me think of. Yes, the love I think we did that make Eowyn, that parallel. And yes, yeah, yeah and exactly. It develops that same way for Eowyn that, I mean, as it does for Eowyn, you know, exactly. that same Exactly. Yeah. I, and, and I think that that will be the moment, right? When she's going to leave and storm off and, mm-hmm. and he's, uh, you know, it's like, you know, do you have no reason to stay? Right. And, you know, she'll be like, oh, wait, actually, yeah, come to think of it, I do. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, exactly, Nick. That's when she realizes that she likes him, likes him. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So and, and, and of course, and so and that's going to that can you know, transition towards their uh, um, 
towards their uh, engagement and the the, right. the, the outing of uh, Kelleborn's deception and stuff. So yeah, I think that's all. That this all to me makes perfect sense. I mean, there's no reason. From anyone's point of view, there isn't any reason for Kelleborn to say, and no reason for anybody to suspect, yeah. really, that or he to knew. Suspect, so. Yeah. so, yep, I don't think keeping that under wraps until episode 11 is going to be hard at all. Um, okay. Um, Besides, Theron Gwethel's no longer around to, like, whisper to Kierden, Right. you know, Kelleborn's getting pretty palsy with Galadriel. You think he didn't know about it? <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, here's an issue that I have. And we're coming close to the end here. Um, uh, Oradreth and Meryl. I'm conflicted. I don't want Oradreth and Meryl to steal Celeborn and Galadriel's thunder. Oh. I don't want that at all. Um... I think that the engagement, proclamation of the engagement, and then marriage, uh, or, you know, wedding of Goadriel and Celeborn, that's like the big reconciliation arc. Like, I mean, that is, the, I mean, really, Celeborn and Goadriel's relationship is really one of the core, like, forgiveness and reconciliation arcs in the entire season, right? And them coming together again, like, so it should be like the... It really looks like the Sindar and the Noldor are headed in different directions, and that like mm-hmm. this is never going to be able to be reconciled. Now this is a complete loss, uh, though some are still wanting to fight for it. Um, that is for reconciliation and for working together. And it's the marriage of Goadriel and Kelborn that sets the example, right? That's the like sign of hope. Like that is the thing that brings things. So if Ordreth and Meryl get married now, like a random, and I'm sorry, my apologies, Ordreth, but you're a random Noldo, right? A random Noldo <laughs> and a random Cinda, right? I mean, come on, Ordreth. Nobody even knows who your parents are, right? So come on, you're random. So Ordreth and Meryl, two random elves get married. Like no, like that just steals the thunder of the whole thing. I don't like it at all. So let's get them married earlier. Let's just have them already married, right? Um, like it's fine. I'm not saying they can't get married, but have them get married before the ban. Then it's a, then it's fine, right? Then you see, then their marriages serve different functions, right? Oradreth and Meryl's wedding then serves to be like the false beginning of what looked like developing into right. a really peaceful, cooperative thing. Like it looks like the sign of the beautiful partnership to come, right? From the Marathadothad. Right. So we've seen them getting all smoochy and everything at the Marathadothad, right? So after the Marathadothad, they get married right away, right? You know, they they they've had plenty of time to like book a hall and everything. So they get they get they get married soon. Yeah, exactly, Marie. But time passes, right? And they had a lot of quality time together at the Marathadothad. So they get married afterwards, right? Like episode six, Thoringuetho and and uh, and uh, Kierden are are chatting, and while they're chatting, like you know, like the uh, the the wedding invitation or like the wedding announcement, right? The 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 newlywed. Uh, photo is like right there on uh, on you know yeah, on Kierden's fridge perfect. in the background, right? Like they've they've gotten married off stage. It doesn't matter because who cares about Ordreth and Meryl anyway? Um, 
I'm sorry. That's too much of an exaggeration. They're lovely people and important characters, but so much less important than Gladro and Kelborn. Um, right. Uh, anyway, yeah. So they, they, they like, Nick, exactly right. Maybe they come by on their honeymoon tour. Who knows? Right. But, but they've recently gotten married. Um, and Taking uh, selfies. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. We see, uh, uh, you know, when Thorin Grethel comes in, Oradreth is like, you know, on Facebook looking at, you know, uh, the, the selfies that they've posted on their honeymoon, you know, whatever. Their honeymoon. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we do need to figure out how to let people know that the wedding did in fact take place. Um, but that's okay. That's what you clever script people. Well, that certainly can be a topic of conversation during the feast. You know I mean? Yeah. It could be referred to in one, you know, once or twice or more times. By Everybody people. kind of sees which direction the wind is blowing at the feast. Right. 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 Like right. The, uh, the, you know, the only question is, uh, you know, how, uh, uh, how 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 soon Oradreth is going to make an honest elf of Merrill right after the feast? So that's all fine. Um, uh, again, yeah. So so that's but but so that'll work as long as it happens before the ban. If they get married after the ban, then like we're going to spoil Galadriel and Celeborn, and they're going to be like the second elvish couple to do that, and it's not going to work. So anyway, all right. So that was the main thing I wanted to say about that. Other quick question on the ban. Um, I like, obviously, the ban on speaking Quenya. That's like the core of the thing in the text. No problem. No issues with that. Um, uh, the wearing of jewels. I like that a lot. One thing that I would say, I don't think there need be any ban on writing. First of all, I think that it's... Um, the ban itself is already borderline unreasonable by Thingol, right? Um, for him to say, like, saying, if you speak Quenya, then you are a slayer of kin un unashamed. Okay, really? Like, seriously? <laughs> like, you, if you speak Quenya, if you, you speaking your native tongue means that you don't care about the kinslaying? Like, that's the, you know, the, the lines that he's drawing there, not 100% reasonable to begin with. It would be way more unreasonable to say, um, to say, uh, you know, have you once written a book in Quenya? Burn it and rewrite it in Cinderin. Like that, I, that, that, no, like that's ridiculous because it's, it's about speech. It's about speech. It's about, um, him wanting to like punish the culture who like, you have to show your penitence. If you are repentant, like, you're going to do penance for this. Like, as a whole culture, the Noldor are going to do penance for this. If you're sorry, right, if you are repentant at all for this horrible thing that you did, then you're going to show that by speaking only our language, right? You are going to, in other words, sort of culturally acclimate yourself to us, not us to you. Remember, that's a reversal, Right, the Noldor were establishing their kingdoms, and they were welcoming welcoming the Sindar to them, and the Sindar were being sort of acclimated into these Noldoran kingdoms. Right, and Finrod says, "No way, that stops now." Thingol because says. yeah, Thingol says, "Sorry, yeah." Thingol says that stops now, right? Um, because we now see your culture, your people, like are corrupt. 
right? And we will not do, we will not stand for that. So you're gonna you're gonna instead acclimate. You're gonna show your humility. You're gonna abase yourself. You're going to acclimate your culture to us, to the culture of the kin of the people that you killed in penance, right? I can see. So like you can see sort of his thinking there. But again, I cannot think that that extends to. And if there is anything written in Quenya, or if you have Quenya runes on your, you know, swords or whatever else, that those have to be scratched out and redone. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Rhiannon says, how would Thingol not look like a hypocrite when he asks for the Silmaril set in the Nauglamir after banning the, be- the wearing of jewels? Oh, he wouldn't not look like a hypocrite, I believe, Rihanna. <laughs> well, and Nick even says, um, and yet he adopts the Tanguar made up by the Kinslayer-in-Chief. You know, I mean, there's two things there, right? Absolutely. It's like, you know, don't do as I do, do as I say sort of Absolutely. And thing. We, I mean, and I, it will be a lot of fun to work out, like, the rationale from Thingol's point of view, right? Because he'll have a rationale. It'll make sense rat- to him. Absolutely. He'll it'll make sense to him, him, but it'll be inconsistent, and it'll be, right. I mean, like bigger and bigger red flags, right? That Thingol is going down the wrong road there. Right. Um, um, okay. Yes. Sad. Yeah. Always, I'm always sad about Thingol. Yes. <sighs> he is sad, as are so many Tolkien characters. That's um, true. Okay. We didn't get to... All right. One last question, then we'll go. <laughs> Seriously, last one. <laughs> Melian. Okay. Melian, what's what does she do? What does she say? What is her contribution to this? I've got to think that the ban. She has to at least qualify it. Like his initial impulse is probably to do something worse. Well, maybe right? it is to do the books and the swords and the whole thing. Maybe. Maybe, maybe maybe that's where he starts, and her compromise is to get him to just do the you know speaking piece. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he. I mean, wants... that's that would be the reaction he would have is I want it all gone everywhere. I don't want right. to see here. You know, I mean, I yeah. Well, I'm actually that. thinking. I'm actually thinking uh, even even more than that. Yeah, like banish the Noldor entirely. Like he's going to be. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Oh, I want them true. off Gosh. this continent. I, I didn't think of that. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I want the Noldor out of Beleriand entirely. I, 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 I never want to see a Noldor again as long as I live. Right. I can totally see Thingol doing that. Right. Um, and I can see then the Quenya band being the step down. You know, right. I mean, I, that would make sense. Right. Um, and, you know, her she can say. They've already had the conversation, right? Where, like, she tells him about for her experience of meeting Goadriel, like, there is a darkness that lies behind. There's more than that, that we know. Some evil has been done. Mm-hmm. And, and now she's like, okay, and now we know what it is, right? But that doesn't change what she thought right. before, right? Like, you know, the, although they have not been sent, um, very certainly not been sent as emissaries of the Valar, yet they have come and they have come at our time of need. Uh, and that is not for no reason. Right. So, uh, let's be a little smart about this. And, you know, so she, she would be going in the generally sort of in the direction, right. Of, um, uh, of 
reconciliation, right? Uh, she certainly wants to leave the door open to reconciliation. She, she's not saying it's okay, right? She's not uh, trying to oppose him. Her, her response to Thingol isn't like, oh, come on, snap out of it, honey. It's not that, but you're making a big deal out of nothing, right? She's not saying that in anything like it. Um, but she is certainly going to say, you know, it is like this is... We're faced with a bigger threat. Yes. There's a bigger evil yes. out there that we need to come together to de- defeat kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And Nick, exactly as you say, if Thingol in his rashness wants to be, wants to say, I want the Noldor gone out of Beleriand. I mean, one could easily say to Thingol, you and who else's army are going to yeah. get rid of the Noldor, <laughs> right? Like you can't do, this is not right. practical. Um, and she can say well, that, I think, sort of gently. Yeah, I mean, you know, let's not have war between ourselves. We have let's other, not have war between know. ourselves. And, you know, yeah. like it's like, and she could even say something like, you know, like the Noldor have come, you know, like that is what is. And there is nothing that we can do to change that, um, you know, and perhaps that, you know, should not be changed. Perhaps it is. Perhaps it will prove to be, you know, that although the they music. have done evil, it will prove to, you know, to be good that they have that they are here. Um, so, if he just wants to be like, I never want to see another Noldo again. I never want them any near anyone, you know, any Sindar, uh, you know, ever, you know. So, him saying, "I want them to never speak Quenya again in my hearing," you know, is definitely a, a serious step back from his first impulse. Which makes it even more interesting when Galadriel gets all ticked off at him because he he looks at it as he relented. Yes. Why should you be ticked at me? You shouldn't be pissed at me. I mean, I relented. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Galadriel, um, he's going to think he's being very tolerant with Galadriel. Right. 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 Yeah. Whereas, yeah, Galadriel is not going to see it that way. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Good. I'm, I think, I think we got a pretty That's good, good. We, got a, we got a pretty good picture of this. So we ended up doing it all mostly and not, it's not one o'clock yet. So that's not good. Too bad. Um, yeah. all right. Excellent. Uh, so our next session will be three weeks from tonight because we've got Mythmoot next week and then the 4th of July the week after. Um, so we're going to be, and I'm going to be away that week anyway with my family. So uh, June 11th, three weeks from tonight will be our next session. And we're going to be doing more creative content. We're going to be doing the thing which we didn't get to last time. Yay! Um, casting! Which casting. We're going to talk about casting concepts for our castle. We're not going to be casting you know, we're not going to be nominating folks. Just we're going to be direction. conceptually yeah. uh, right. uh, working out uh, what our casting call will look like for uh, right. uh, for the people we people. need to, to cast uh, this yeah. year. Yep. So um, that's the plan cool. for next time. Ooh. And everybody tweet Dave that he missed such a good episode. Yes. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. Takako, you are absolutely there. right about that. What's we'll have that? to think about that. Anyway, Thursday-ish. Oh. Is, <laughs> anyway, that week of, Ju- of July 11th, Takako's right. We do have a conflict there. This is our new time, and we're still kind of working it out with our other pro- programming. That's true. July 11th is the date of the next Mythgard Movie Club, as well, I could, recall, yeah, which I'm supposed to be well. at, too. So... Yes, we're talking about Camelot that night. Right. Got it. Yes. It's a little bit earlier. We'll sort it out. We'll sort it out. Um, maybe we'll joust or 
something. Um, but uh, we'll 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 sort it. It'll probably be that night. I think we can. I think we can handle it. Anyhow, um, so stay in touch for the further details. But I think we can still plan on Thursday, the eleventh of July. Um, and if not, pay attention to social media, and we'll post it on the forums too. So we'll be able to we'll be able to do that. Um, and yes, uh, tomorrow night. Um, uh, on uh, so Friday night at 7 p.m., um, there's going to be a script discussion for the, the the detailed script outline of episode three, the Marathatathad. Um, so if you want to take part in working and ironing out the details more and actually doing the outline of the whole episode, uh, join uh, Marie and Nick and, and others uh, uh, who have been uh, uh, doing such a good job. And I always look forward to reading the script outlines when we get there at the end of the season. So for episode five, the Marathatathad, uh, that's going to be happening. Happening. Don't forget our 500th episode uh, giveaway that we're doing. Send an email to info at signumu.org and we'll do our drawing on Wednesday and let you get next Wednesday. Wednesday, uh, what date? Wednesday, uh, I should say a date for those who are listening asynchronously. Wednesday, right. the 26th of June, 2019. Uh, Which means <laughs> this episode better... This episode better be up and out pretty it soon. Will be. Huh? It will be. It will be. It will be. I promise. Um, With banners and fireworks. Yay! Yeah. Very good. Okay. Thanks, everybody. That was a really fun 500th episode, and I will see you guys soon. Bye now. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.